Did you see any white people in there waiting an hour and 32 minutes for a plate of spaghetti? Huh? And how many cups of coffee did we get? You don't drink coffee, and I didn't want any. Man, that woman in there poured cup after cup to every single white person around us. But did she even ask you if you wanted any? We didn't get any coffee that you didn't want and I didn't order. And that's evidence of racial discrimination. Did you notice that our waitress was black? And black women don't think in stereotypes? You tell me something, man. When was the last time you met one who didn't think she knew everything about your little lazy ass before you even opened your mouth? Huh? That waitress sized us up in two seconds. We're black and black people don't tip. So she wasn't going to waste her time? Now, somebody like that, nothing you could do to change their mind. So, uh, how much is you leaving? You expect me to pay for that kind of service? <laughs> what? What the fuck is you laughing at, man? <laughs> I'm seriously starting to think that you're jealous of Karen. Hardly. I'd just like to see you get through a meal without calling her or anyone else for that matter. Okay, look, no more phone calls tonight. Right. As a matter of fact, here, you can hold the battery, okay? Ten bucks says she calls me in the car. Wait, 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 wait. You see what that woman just did? You see that? Like, she's cold. She got colder as soon as she saw us, though. Oh, man, come on, all stop. Man, look around you, man. You couldn't find a whiter, safer, or better lit part of this city right now. But yet this white woman sees two black guys who look like UCLA students strolling down the sidewalk, and her reaction is blind fear? I mean, look at us, dog. Are we dressed like gangbangers? Huh? No. Do we look threatening? No. Fact, if anybody should be scared around here, it's us. We're the only two black faces surrounded by a sea of over-caffeinated white people patrolled by the trigger-happy LAPD. So you tell me, why aren't we scared? Because we got guns? You could be right. You're traveling to another radio show. Broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Good evening. I'm your host, D-Bird, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd. And this is The Grindhouse, per usual, featuring Captain Kirk, Afro Nerd Radio featuring Captain Kirk. Uh, People, wow, what a busy week, a busy weekend, even up until this this broadcast. We were in a city trying to get it in at West Village Comic Books, a African-American-owned, black-owned establishment trying to do a first impressions. We haven't done a first impressions in a minute. And we saw so many films and we thought that on Sunday, we're thinking with the queen sense of queen sensibility, Queens, New York sensibility, but there, there are differences between the boroughs people. Uh, don't get it twisted. So 
we're thinking that, well, this shop probably opens at 12 p.m. Yeah, he, he, he opens at 12 p.m. except on Sundays at 3. So we, we try to do something in front of the Tony establishment, and then the mics were not charged very well. So there's a learning curve. Bear with us, people. Not that I'm trying to, you know, explain ourselves, but uh, someone like, someone who is as uh, professional as Qstone would be able to breeze through this kind of stuff. But again, we're doing this guerrilla style, and um, well, we'll have something. <laughs> we will have something. Don't you worry. There's a lot to, to, to um, a lot to unpack. Definitely check us out on Instagram. There's a few things I put up there, a few ditties on Instagram. So I'll explain about that. Uh, the intro, the cold intro was from 2004. Would you believe almost 15 years ago, Lorenz Tate and Luda, Ludacris, Chris Bridges, were getting it in in the film Crash almost 15 years ago. Wow. Time is flying, people. It certainly is. So without further ado, let's just get it in. Let's go to an Herbalt groove, and then let's unpack. There's a lot to discuss. I actually got a chance to check out Widows a few days ago, Viola Davis. Steve McQueen, Liam Neeson, the captain also saw this thing. So uh, we're going to we're going to talk about that. Neil deGrasse Tyson has been me too two pieced with a me too maybe three pieced three women. Me too is at it again. Um, who else is out there? Mark Lamont Hill. <laughs> He's getting two pieced by the JDL. All right. Let's get to the Muzak, and then we'll get to the discourse. This is a Miles Davis redux, courtesy of Robert Glasper. Let us see. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. Two minutes. Let's groove. Someone else, you don't really need my help. 
Well, crazy folks, I figured I'd let that ride once again. That was the mighty Miles Davis featuring Robert Glasper and Lettucey. I'm leaving you. This is the Grindhouse. We're back at it again. The call-in number is 646-915-9620. 646-915-9620. Definitely use it. Feel free to buzz on in with your questions, your queries, your disagreements, all that jazz and jazz. Uh, let me introduce... The captain, Captain James T. Kirk, James T. Kirk, pardon me, of our own enterprise, the Afro Nerd Machine Enterprise. I cannot do the show without this gentleman. So, without further ado, Captain, you're needed on the bridge again. Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Uh, Should I say this? Yeah, let's say it. Last night we had Good heavyweight boxing. Imagine that. We had Wilder, Mr. Wilder, a champion within his own right, with a devastating sledgehammer right hand, versus Mr. Fury, who's extremely light on the feet. If you want to get racial with it, you had a black against a white. Great boxing. Went the distance. It was a draw. Hopefully, they'll fight again. It was good to watch, man. It was some excitement. Not any foolishness, you know? Normally, if you watch boxing, you got to watch people Mayweather's size to get a decent fight. But this was good to go. Back over to you, Afternoon. All right. You know, unbeknownst to me, I was unaware of that, Captain. And I know that uh, my father, the Oracle, he's very much a boxing aficionado. So I have to ask him. I'm pretty sure, you know, he... Normally he would he would be mentioning all kinds of matches, but uh, as you just alluded to, as of late the boxing, the sport of boxing has kind of taken a a back step. I think the uh, mixed martial arts has had to fill in that void, whereas conventional boxing used to be everything. You know, of all different um, weight weight distinctions. But in the last couple of years, you know, um, after uh, Mike Tyson has kind of – obviously, he's older and that whole thing and, and his fiasco with, with going to jail 20-some-odd years ago, um, I, I, it seems like we really haven't gotten to, the, to that, that pedigree like we did so many years ago. So maybe you're on to something. I'll definitely have to revisit it and check it out, and I'll, I'll ask the Oracle his opinion. Anyway, people, look, we're back live and direct and um, let me get some of the, you know, some of the business out of the way, folks. We're on YouTube. Please check us out. Also, follow us on YouTube. Like our videos if you do indeed like the videos. We appreciate it. You can also reach us through our email accounts to give us your opinions or even go to Twitter. I mean, we're all over the place now. You go to Afroner Radio uh, on Twitter. You can reach out to us and give us your impressions of, of what you think about what we're doing or some things you would like to see we can take some critiques so that's okay the patreon uh that will certainly help us to move to the next level afternoon radio 
well, pardon me, patreon.com forward slash AfroNerd Radio. And then there's the Instagram page, AfroNerd underscore radio. I've been putting up some clips of or some pictures of my personal collection. I have Amazing Fantasy 15 up there. Eh, in okay shape. There's a whole story behind that book, how I was able to get it. But I do have Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Why I have that book and the condition that it's in. But I got it, nevertheless. Silver Surfer number one, I don't think I put that up, up yet, but that's going to be put up. Uh, there's a number of things. A couple of t-shirt, t-shirt creations. There's a Electro Flash Media project that we were able to successfully put together on Instagram where we actually have the Afro Nerd radio logo and it lights up. It has a sound, a sound element where if, you know when you play any kind of sound, it will react to the sound and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a cool look. It's kind of a cool look. Afro Nerd radio the logo lighting up. So anyway, that's at Instagram. Okay, so let's get to this. Um widows we both were able to t- check out Widows in the last couple of days. I think you actually, I think you checked out Widows last week. I checked it out a few days ago, this Friday, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think our own Sergio Mims spoke about it last week, and he was really lauding over this thing. And I had intentions to see it, but I didn't get around to seeing it with the other glut of films that I saw uh, as of late. But I did get a chance to check it out, and I will say I was pleasantly surprised. I think. Maybe the captain might agree or disagree. I think it might surpass my opinions on Inside Man. I really, you know, look, with Denzel Washington, you really can't go wrong. I'm a big supporter of his work. And he and the mighty Spike Lee, when those two get together, it is quite wonderful, right? So I got I to gotta respect their their team up but as far as the number of stellar performances i think that widows in my opinion might surpass inside man for this type of film the whole heist genre might edge it out i think so uh let me just get into this thing steve mcqueen black british filmmaker you may be familiar with his work from 12 years a slave which was, in my estimation, masterful. He's back at it again. This time he has Viola Davis as the lead. We have Michelle Rodriguez. We have Cynthia Erivo, Colin Farrell, um, uh, Liam Neeson, of course, and Robert Duvall. So there are quite a few folks in this thing. And some people you know as far as their skill set, they have it. I think Colin Farrell, he came came in on the scene on the acting scene, I guess maybe 20 years ago, uh, 15, 20 years ago, young hotshot Irish actor, and, or is he Welsh? Let's say he's Irish. <laughs> My, pardon me. <laughs> he, he came in with a great deal of heat, and then something happened where his career took a nosedive. Not that he wasn't getting enough work, but he was supposed to be that guy, and I think he took a couple of clunkers, and it, in my opinion, I see that Sergio wants to, wants to chime in, maybe, maybe his, his career took a, 
took a stall. I think his career stalled to me as far as like the heat that was behind that this actor. You you forget how good he is or how good he can be. This time around, and I have to take note of what Sergio said as far as uh, you know Sergio was a Chicagoan, so he was familiar with the Chicago accent. I know of I know of uh, Colin's natural speaking voice where he has that Irish brogue. You can't even discern it in this. I mean, he embodies someone from Chicago. So there's little things like that that you must take note of. I, too, applaud, I too applaud the intimacy between Viola Davis and Liam Neeson. I just think that she did not have to put it on blast like it's something so, I don't know. You might, you might take note of it, but then you kind of just let it percolate. Don't put that out there on Front Street where it makes you seem like you got, in my opinion, in my opinion, like you might have some esteem issues. I felt it, 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 she dealt, she dove into that a little bit, just a little. I would have just simply said, and we spoke about this in the last podcast, Captain. I would have simply said, hey, look, two people, different ethnicities, not a big deal in this day, this day and age. And I'm glad that this film gave us an opportunity to explore that kind of relationship because it is very normal. And that's what we wanted to convey for this project. That's it. But going into he's Liam Neeson, he's a hunk, I'm dark, my natural hair. Come on, sis. Knock it. Stop it. It's just a matter of an opinion. If all of us have opinions, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was necessary. So, um, I don't want to give so much away. Maybe Wednesday we will go into spoilers, but the turnaround on this film also was, was masterful, where, where you, certain things happened where you didn't see it coming. Right, let me make note of also uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Wow. Wow. Those black Brits, man. You black folks in the States, we Yankees, must take note of their skill set. Now, maybe we will see, maybe there's, there's some brothers from the States I shouldn't say maybe. I'm pretty sure that there are. I'm, I'm going to, maybe I will have to go give credit to Sam Jackson, uh, after Sam Jackson's comments from last year. I'm sure there are masterful American actors, but these British actors of, of whatever ethnicity, right? Forget about the nationality. I'm talking about the ethnicity. The black British actors are so well-trained. They're coming in here with 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 the the vernacular of an American and they're bodying these roles. Danny Kalua was a threat. Brian Tyree Henry, okay, that's a brother from the States. We know him from Atlanta. He is a real actor. So maybe I have to balance between the two. They were they coincidentally coincidentally played brothers. Brothers from across the pond, obviously. But they brought it. I'm going to leave on this, too. I have to even concede to Michelle Rodriguez. Now, I like Michelle for what she does. She's like the female Jason Statham, who, who is also her colleague in the franchise films, the Fast and Furious franchise films. But she, she, for the last 20 years, she's been playing girl fight, just the, the very masculine, kind of edgy, 
uh, rough chick, in quotes. This time around, she, t- she pulled it back, toned it down, was very feminine, still tough, but I saw a different Michelle Rodriguez where I felt like she was actually acting versus being stuck in this same, the same, the same gear shift. Her gear is still on in, in second gear. I thought that she went to fifth gear on this one. So it, it was, uh, was it a perfect film? I'm not going to say that. I thought it got a little, I don't, I don't want to say hokey because there was some, some masterful turnarounds, but then I don't, something about it toward the end, it was like, okay, this is almost unbelievable. There's, there were some parts that I thought were a bit unbelievable. Other than that, everything else was meant. Um, $53 million, $42 million budget, $53 million globally thus far. Perhaps it's not that kind of film. Maybe it will be up for Oscar consideration, and if that's the case, or get some kind of Oscar, Oscar, pardon me, some kind of Oscar recognition, maybe it might be able to bolster this film because I think it's worthy of that. Um, that's it. I loved it, but it wasn't perfect, but it was, it was, it was very good film. Very good film. Captain, your thoughts, and then we'll open up the lines. I'm passing the mic to you. Well, I didn't think it was a great film. I thought it was a good film. It was a good film. Now, as the movie started, it seemed like it was just going to be any other hokum. The whole way it started, you know, and then it carried to a certain point, and then it's all about the plot twists the plot twist that changed the game as far as I'm concerned in respect to this film. I said, okay, plot twist enters. I said, now we got a film. Miss Viola Davis, she's excellent. I thought Michelle Rodriguez was awkward, but it worked. I, I, just, I just thought she was awkward. I thought she was slightly out of place, but Mr. McQueen, Steve McQueen, made it work. Now, there's something interesting that that director does. There's something rather interesting that he does. And this is him in conjunction with his editor and his cinema photographer. Like some people, I would say a lot of people, all right, a lot of people, when they're directing, when they work with a cinema photographer and the editor, they go, you know, close up, go right into the shot, close up, go medium, they go wide. And maybe they pan with the camera around. That's about as far as it goes. He had a tendency to lean into shots instead of just going into the shot. You see, when you just lean into the shot, it creates a duality on the screen. Now, it's not, not, that's not just the director. That's your cinema photographer and your editor. So, of course... I have a tendency to watch movies or, or whether it's a TV series, automatically know how it's going to end up, where it's going to go, and everything else. He was able to throw me off with it. That's why I raised the film. A lot of times I automatically know because screenwriting is set up a certain way. It's a formula. Once you know the formula, you pretty much can tell and know where these guys are going with movies or things that happen on TV. But by him leaning into shots, you see one thing, you think it's going to go one way, then it goes the other. He did that a couple of times in there. I was like, this guy here is excellent. You know, it creates a duality, and that's what you want. You don't want to 
absolutely know what's going on. Because you start, uh, 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 okay, I know what's going to happen. He's going to come in here more than likely. He's going to shoot this person, yada, yada, yada. Then we got this, and the police are going to come, and then there you go. <clears throat> now, when we get to somewhat near, there's a scene at the end. And you said to you, I said to myself, and it had Viola Davis in the scene. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'll let you figure it out. Because <laughs> I know a lot of you didn't see it yet. I said, now, how was that going to fly? But they mentioned it in the script. I said, yes, it was written in. It was something that they had said before. I said it was written in. And I said, excellent. Because, again, that's how screenwriting is supposed to go. You're supposed to, everything is supposed to link up. But sometimes as general audience, you miss these things. And again, in that particular shot, it was a lean-in. And then you notice something else happened. I said, this, I said, this guy, McQueen here, along conjunction with a cinema photographer and his editor, I said, this guy here knows what he's doing. This guy's excellent. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I thought, oh, well, it was a good movie. And I just thought it was going to be hokum. Because a lot of times when people talk about this stuff, it's like they, they, they amped it up too much for me. They amped it up. Go, oh, it's this, it's that. No, it was good. Good work. Good acting. Good direction. Good cinema photography. Even in one scene where they played the placement of music, I said, dead on. That's what I said. Like, like I was actually, <laughs> you know, directed with Boom, dead on with that music. That's the right music for that scene. They nailed it. Okay, let's go. You know, so so that's what I was doing. I was like, yeah, yeah. So, overall, I think it was a good movie. I think this is one you should go see. You know, try to see it before it leaves the theaters. Check it out, you know. Mr. McQueen knows what he's doing. Viola Davis is always good, you know. That's the bottom line. You know, so check it out. Back over to you, Afrin. Yeah, you know, we all have our opinions, and we're going to bring in the – bring in our uh, friend from Chi-Town, our resident cineast, and also to the uh, quite a few folks are on hold if you'd like to join in. If you got a chance to check out Widows or have your own impressions, feel free to just uh, press 1. If you press 1, that way we know that you'd actually like to join in on the conversation. Again, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Simply press 1. That way we know you want to join in. Um, a couple of things I also noticed. Lucas Haas Lucas Haas, who was a child actor, now he's a grown damn man, almost unrecognizable. I rem- remember Lucas Haas from Witness, with then a, a young, <laughs> uh, a young Harrison Ford. You know, so it's, it's funny how time flies. That this guy plays, he's playing like this this real estate developer, who is in this relationship, quasi uh, transactional relationship, with one of the one of the actresses. So it was it was cool to see him, and also. Uh, Punisher, John Bernthal makes an appearance, and he, you know, he something happens to him, and I'm looking at him. I'm thinking he he is so indelible as as the Punisher. I'm like, well, you're supposed to shake that off. <laughs> that was in my head, Captain. I said, okay, you know, I'm still thinking because he, he's looking like the Punisher, and he's in a role like the Punisher, kind of sorta. But we know the Punisher is able to sh- shrug certain things off. He wasn't coming back from this, you know. So anyway. I, I raise it up a little bit, maybe a little bit above what the captain is saying because of the amount of actors in it, what they were bringing to the table, uh, their skill set. I mean, you have a, a Robert Duvall, 
an advanced age. And again, he's always well, look, he's he's always Bobby Duvall. Some of these guys, no matter what they're in, you you just kind of put him anywhere, and he's going to do his thing. You know, um, he's always going to his A game is, is his A game is in his blood. So I thought playing Colin Farrell's father, he was pretty good for that role. I didn't necessarily think Michelle Rodriguez was that awkward. I just thought that uh, maybe what we where we agree is that Steve McQueen knew how to kind of play to her strengths, strengths and or weaknesses, and it seemed she seemed to be not what I'm accustomed to seeing all the time. That that gruffy tough chick was there but it was pulled back a little <laughs> it was pulled back enough for her to do the, to do what i wanted her to do so i i didn't have a problem with her i thought she maybe because i saw her in a different light i was impressed with brian from atlanta uh, daniel kalua again it's it just so many so many of the actors and what they brought to the brought to this to this this piece of work I thought it brought it over the top a little. I thought it was a little bit better than average. But anyway, it's just you know just a hair between our our viewpoints. Okay, let's get it in. Let's let's listen to Sergio. I'm, I'm, I know he spoke about this last week. Perhaps he has more to say. Serge, welcome to the Grindhouse. Yes, hello. Man. How up? you doing? Pretty good. Uh, how you like my neighborhood? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> very nice. Parts of it. <laughs> Parts of it. <laughs> the yes. homes, everything. The, when they were going into welcome the hood, to, when they were going into the welcome, hood, that was that issue. Welcome, welcome to Hyde Park in Chicago. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just up the street from me, that house forty forty eight forty five North El, South Ellis, one block up the street from me, and the scene when Enrivo sets the cars on fire, that brief shot, okay, right. that's right across the street. Oh wow! It's right across the street from me. Right on the corner, 50th and F, right on the cross street. I saw the cars when they were on fire. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I said before what I said last week. Um, it, it, well, first of all, let me say maybe some of the stuff may go over the heads of some people because it is a very Chicago story. For example, uh, Robert Duvall's character, and it's based on more or less a real person by the name of Ed Burke, who made some news this week. Ed Burke is a longtime alderman here. Well, in New York, you call him councilman. Longtime alderman in New York, in Chicago has been there for nearly 50 years, um, and uh, the district that he's in is now basically is mainly now mainly Hispanic, Latino, and Burke he's like this white Irish guy, right? And he's holding on to power. Now you may have heard. Talk about timing. You may have heard that this week the Reds, the Feds, raided his office. Um, the same day that, that um, uh, what's the guy's name, Michael Cohen, made that deal about Trump. Now, Ed Burke is a lawyer, and his law firm has done business with the Trump organization for years, long before we had that. Trump Tower with the big name on the side that you can see from a mile away. Um, so that is clearly tied in. So that kind of ties into what happens in this movie. Talk about these crooked uh, aldermen, politicians in Chicago with money that they've gotten from illegal means. And so that very much ties into everything. Um, as I said before, I think the performances are great. 
Um, okay, at first, I did have a little problem with um, Viola Davis, too much of that strong black woman thing, you know. <laughs> but as the movie, you know, but as it goes along, then she begins to show her vulnerabilities, which I like. Uh, and uh, the movie doesn't, it, and everybody's great in this picture. I wish more people had seen uh, Bad Times at El Royale to see what Cynthia and in Revo in Revo can really do, because she's the lead actress in that movie, and she is phenomenal in that film. Absolutely phenomenal. Here, she, you know, she comes in kind of late into the picture, to the storyline. She's still good, um, but you should see the other movie to see what she can do. But this was top-notch to me, you know? And I just like his choices. Like, why do the same thing to have a conversation in the car? Let me put the camera outside the car. Yep. And And once again, you have to follow what's going on. Because look outside, he goes from a rundown, you know, ghetto area to this rather, um, you know, well-to-do, almost well, almost more to well-to-do uh, neighborhood. That's Chicago. Chicago is like that. You can go from extreme poverty to extreme wealth in in a mile. Now, there's a cheat there where he goes down 43rd Street, then he goes down 47th Street, then he goes down my street, you know. Uh, but um, still, 40, 43rd Street is not that far from me. It's like, you know, four or five blocks away. And you can, you can go down the street and see beautiful homes and then go a mile and you see empty lots. You know, that's Chicago. I, I don't think you see that in New York. I don't think you see that in L.A., but you see that a lot in Chicago, extreme poverty to extreme wealth. Uh, go to the west side, neighborhoods like Willondale, it's deserted. But you can see the downtown area less than 10 miles away, visibly, right down the street. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 deals with, it deals more with just a heist movie. It deals with class. It deals with race. It deals with... Um, um, income inequality, it deals with a lot of issues. It's more than just simply a heist movie. Um, I, I can't disagree with anything you're, you're saying. I, I thought that the movie was refreshing in the sense that I have to kind of um, piggyback on what the captain was saying, is that what, what, really, brought it over the, what really brought it over the top, what, to me, were two things. The, the level and quality of the acting and the fact that what could have been a play-by-the-numbers heist film, as you just said, yeah. there were so many different elements and the, and the twisted ending that I didn't necessarily see coming. Like I, there was something that happens in the beginning that I assumed was, okay, well, this is just this right. is where this film begins. I mean, again, it's Widow. So, I mean, not to give anything away, you have these yeah. uh, criminal, criminal husbands and their wives take, over, take their places, uh, uh, basically. So when that happens, I assume that was what we were going to see. So towards the end, they go somewhere with, that is not a play by the numbers, and that alone, along with the, the quality of the acting, brought it over the top for me as a moviegoer. So I, I, I was really pleasantly surprised that, okay, this isn't the, the, the typical kind of movie where, like you said, the racial issues, 
the income, income inequality issues, all those kind of things, made it a special film. So I, I was all in. Yeah. Uh, by the way, in terms of the box office, yeah, right now it's just over $50 million. It'll easily do worldwide somewhere $80, 90000000 million, which doesn't make it a flop, you know. As I said, one thing I really, really hate about um, – when people do box office analysis, is that they always think they always talk about the American market, what the film does in America. And if anybody knows anything, mo- movies make most of their money overseas. So uh, what it does here is significant, but it pales to compare to what a film can do. Uh, I think films that have done very poorly in the United. Oh, what was that last Triple uh, X movie? Uh, didn't do any kind of great business here in Chicago. It did like $350 million overseas. You're talking about Vin Diesel? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. It did a ridiculous kind of money overseas. And so, you know, don't go, yeah, don't go by what, what a movie does domestically in the United States. And people are already want to rush it off, a bit, uh, finish it off. The film is still going to do pretty well. When okay, here I'm going for the numbers. The Return of Xander Cage, film did 44, did about 44.9 million in the United States. It did 301 million worldwide. That's into that. <laughs> so what what Widows is going to do? And once again, this film has not opened up yet completely worldwide overseas. You know, well, so it still has a lot of money still to make. Have you heard any, anything about this film being submitted for Oscar consideration? Yeah, they're pushing it. They're definitely going to push it. I got a screener of it. They're definitely going to push it. You know, um, it's got some good chances. I'm telling you, I can guarantee you right now that very skinny white chick Elizabeth Debicki, she's going to get a nomination. Her part is really, but her part is really outstanding. Um, Violet Davis may have a shot for Best Actress. Um, uh, 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 Steve McQueen definitely will probably have a shot for Best Director and bestly, and also especially for co-screenplay for screenplay. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost a given. It's going to get some nominations. Uh, I think Best Picture. I don't know. You know. But well, it's Fox is definitely putting out the push for it. I, I think that the, that the uh, notoriety attached to it might be helpful. I think when these movies come out, when they come out, and also you know Steve McQueen's name, I, yeah. I think so. I think I, I, you know this. This whole thing about when you know when you when you listen to people and they think every film is the same. Some films some films are made for different reasons. Like I think right. this film wasn't necessarily made to be like an Avengers film. It's not an Infinity War. Okay, no, I, no, I it's, think it's, that like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old-fashioned, you know, the way, the yep. kind of movies that Hollywood used to know how to make. Right, this was yep. not designed to be a blockbuster. You know, Seven Ups, that kind of thing. You know, uh, yeah. the French, Connect, French Connection, those are the films yeah. that, you, you know, that's, that's, that's where people, they, they last for a long time. You'll be, you'll be revisiting this thing. It might be even studied in film school. Those kind of films. Yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, we have another. Yeah, I we look have another, at a. Uh, we have another no, call. I look at a film. 
Let's go to the DMV. Oh, no, I just want to say one thing. I look at film. This it hasn't. The, the, by the way, Widows has not opened in Germany. It hasn't opened in France. It hasn't opened in Spain. It hasn't opened in most European countries. Uh, it still hasn't opened yet in most Latin American countries. So you know, it has. It hasn't opened yet in Asia. Oh, okay. You know, well, it's a, it's a long also, way to go. It has a long way to go. And also, don't forget Heat. You know, when Heat came out, it did okay for its time. Uh, that was now 20 years ago. Now it's considered one of the most definitive crime films ever made. But nobody I, I, was saying that back then. I think this may be in that same realm. 703, the DMV. Right. Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. Is this Bison or um, Black Ronin? 703. Bison. Hello, sorry about that. This is Bison Life calling from D.C. How are you? Pretty good, man. What's up? Doing well, sir. Um, Well, I'm not going to see it. I don't want to see it. I'm going out the country for a couple of weeks, so that is what it is. Um, I had no intention of seeing Widows. I I mean, I have all these streaming services. I'm going to use it. Um. But I was turned off by Viola Davis's, you know, her comments before the movie. It just seems it's almost distracting what the movie was about. I mean, that just struck me as kind of just was off-putting. And from what I've seen online, a lot of um, people felt the same way. I hope it does well, but if it doesn't, I won't lose any sleep over it. At the end of the day, it's just a movie. I'm glad it's something kind of out of the ordinary. I'm just kind of, and this is another discussion, which I, I probably don't even want to have right now. But one, I, I'm, I love to see actors of color in different types of roles. But then again, I'm hearing that in this one, Viola was kind of using a lot of, um, I guess, stereotypical mannerisms or, euphemisms, you know, in regards to, you know, why are you black and then Gina Rodriguez. I, Gina Rodriguez is one of those people. I'm not going to pay anything what she's in. She's she's getting into Mark Wahlberg territory. She just says too much slick shit, you know, about black people. And I, I, I'm through with her. But I hope it does well. Uh, the film I'm looking forward to is um, Beale Street. The film and probably Spider Man movies, but I'm not going to see anything until 2019. It's just nothing that's compelling me to go to the movies right now. It's nothing. Wow, you've got to see this. I mean, that's just me. Um, but I do, I do have a question about Steve McQueen. I sort of, you know, is this guy is he an auteur or is, is this considered like a hack film? Is this like a step down for him? Regards to subject matter, or is he? I mean, was this like a Hollywood grab for him, or is this? No, nah, not at all. Do you think this is like an artist film for him? I I wouldn't say that it's it was a money grab. It it just wasn't that kind of film. I thought that um I don't know if he's an auteur yet because I can't quite get his style like that. Like you know you you know the whole auteur thing is that um you're you're able to. You able like when you see a Tarantino, you know clearly this is a Tarantino film. When you see a Spike Lee film, you know with the moving dolly and you know, like all those kind of inside gags, you know that you know the stylings of this. I don't I don't quite get that from 
from McQueen yet, but I think uh, his heft and the seriousness and the dialogue and the way the the, the level of the acting ability the, the abilities that you see, it's pretty stellar. I mean, I, I was pretty impressed. Um, but you know, I, look, I'm I am curious about what um, Viola Davis has said. Her remarks. I, did that have a role? I, I want to go to our resident cinephile, uh, Sergio. Did that have a have a role? Play a role? I heard I heard kind of some murmuring that what she said might have turned some people off to seeing this film. Um, Is may, that possible? Maybe maybe a few men may have been turned off. A few men. But when usually that doesn't really hurt box office. I mean, look at look at uh, Tom Cruise and all the crazy stuff he's been involved with with Scientology. That never seems to hurt him. So um, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think that was it at all. I think what hurt the film more than anything, they should have released the film in, in maybe late September. They should have released this film. Um, when there was not so much competition going on, I guess Fox was thinking of counter-programming. You know, a lot of stuff comes out that's aimed for family, so we'll do a more uh, adult film. That might work sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time. Um, Hello? Oh, no, okay, sorry, sorry. Did some, somebody dropped something. Yes, okay. Uh, it, 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 I think that's what hurt it. October, everything was hurt by by um, Halloween. Halloween simply destroyed everything in this path. Um, I had a talk with George Tillman, who I've known for years, and he, you know, he confessed to me that Halloween just really wiped out any potential for his film *The Hate You Give*. Nobody expected that film to be that big, open that big, and be that popular. Um, sometimes that happens. A movie opens sometimes, and it knocks everything else out of the loop, out of its orbit. You know, yeah, you, but you that's, can't predict that, those things. But that's Blumhouse and Jamie Lee Curtis, and it's also nostalgia. I could have predicted yeah, that. Yeah, but it it that. did twice. It opened seventy-seven million. It, that that did twice what they thought it was going to do. Everybody thought it was going to do well. Nobody thought it was going to do eighty-seven, uh, seventy-eight million in the first weekend. Again, a, no a, a genre, a genre film that's been around for forty years. Jamie Lee Curtis, we haven't seen in a minute, and Bloomhouse and how they know how to turn a dollar. I, I just have this feeling. Well, first that, of all, it is does, what it is. For, does everybody forget Halloween H two O with her in it? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm telling you. And there have been so many Hollywood movies. There was the uh, Rob Zombie Hollywood, I mean, uh, Halloween movies. Blumhouse, there have been so many. I, Blumhouse, I forgot. Blumhouse, Blumhouse nostalgia, I think, has something to do with that. I think but there's, too many, there's too many wins on the part of Blumhouse. If you look at Blumhouse's track record on Wikipedia, it's yeah. incredible. You know, 10 million. Yeah, but turns, even Blumhouse never had a movie that opened 10 that million big. turns. Ten million turns into a hundred and fifty million with these people. You know, so, but, now, Bloom, but Bloomhouse re- never had a film that opened that big. Now I got to re- now I got to rethink uh, Spawn. Now Spawn, I, I I have no idea what it's going to do, but Blumhouse is behind that, and it has Todd McFarlane, who has no directing experience, and it has Jamie Jamie Fox behind it. So whereas I would normally poo poo that, 
And I was able to see uh, Tar McFarlane at New York Comic Con, where he went in depth as to what he thought he was going to do. To do. I mean, he spoke like a fanboy. He, he spoke the language that we want to hear. How that translates to really being a, a sufficient director, I don't know. But again, Blumhouse, <laughs> Nostalgia, uh, Jamie Foxx, who knows, who knows what's going to happen with that film? I have to rethink After that also. Tom McFarlane is such a douchebag. I would go deeper, but this is a family show. If I saw him on fire yeah. in the street, I wouldn't even spit on him. Man. I mean, look, he got I hear what you're saying. Toys, and I mean, I hope so, but look, I'm going to be real. Let's be real. Jamie Foxx's star has dimmed yeah. to the point where he's not a draw anymore at all. These things, this is Hollywood, name, last, name, name Jamie Foxx's last movie. It was Robin look. Hood. Who saw it? Oh, I didn't see that. Look, it looked like look that looked like butt. <laughs> that looked like butt. <laughs> All right. You got a lot of talent, talent, though. You got a lot of talent. <laughs> but but again, um, Sergio knows this that Hollywood man it, things can turn around on a dime. You know, we saw uh, John Travolta has had at least two or three Phoenix yeah. Risings. So you you just well, I'll, give you, I'll you, give you one. one I'll film, give you one. You one, appreciate. You're one film away. In many of these cases, you're one film away. Look, M. Night Shyamalan, we're talking about his name again. See, see, that's the guy I was about to mention. M. Night Shyamalan, a few years ago, his name was a joke. You know, they didn't, they didn't put his name on After Earth because his reputation had been so bad. Now you guys can't wait for Glass. Yeah, I can't. What happened? You know, what happened? I think what's happened, uh, I think a couple of things. One, we're in the age of superhero films, but I think things are kind of sliding between the cracks. I'm st- I'm starting to wonder what's going to be the next big thing. I mean, we can't go nostalgia forever. Widows is an original. I think it's based on the books. So I don't want to say totally original. It's based on a British TV show. Yeah. The only film I'm really looking forward to that really looks different and just out of the box, it would probably flop big time. Is Mortal Engines? That looks different. Um, but there's no uh, ideas out here anymore. I, I know, I know. It, that that might. It doesn't. That's probably. When DOA. I saw the full trailer, I said it's one of those young adult novels. Oh gosh. It just looks different. I mean, I think we may be reaching a point with superhero fatigue, but I know Aquaman is going to do big business. But maybe there's, I think there's a yearning for something different. I think 2019, I mean, you t- you remove um, Avengers. I got a feeling maybe the top film of the year may be something totally left field. I mean, I don't know. I just That's just me. I could be 100% wrong. I mean, heck, Mary Poppins might do huge business. I don't no, know. Mary Poppins, I've seen Mary Poppins. I saw it Monday. This thing is going to be massive. Wow. Massive. Well, that. It's really Really good. I'm not joking. And you're talking to somebody who loves the original Mary Poppins. This movie hits all the buttons. It's got great songs. Great songs. And it really captures the magic and the spirit of the original movie. I'm not joking. And here's the thing. It's a diverse cast. You've got Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is, 
you know, it, the movie takes place like 20 years after the, after the first one. And you have all these black actors in the movie. I mean, they may not be major roles, but you're like, yeah, the movie is clearly saying that, and, and let's face it, England in the 1930s is, has always been a multiracial city country. It always, uh, I mean, uh, London was always a multiracial city, right? Not just recently, always has been, right? So that movie, this movie reflects that, you know? Disney's not dumb. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I got. I have to say that to see a 90-year-old uh, Dick Van Dyke dancing, that pulled me yeah. in. I'm sorry. I, I just have to and say, the way, I, you and know. The, the way they set it up is that when he makes his appearance, the whole audience is going to be primed to give a round of applause. You know. All right. Uh, and on right, that, he dances. On that, he dances, that, you know. On that, on that note, let, let's, we're, going to, we're going to take a quick break, gentlemen. I'm going to keep you on. I do want to talk about. Let's let's kind of t- turn things around completely. Let's talk well, about. I have Neil a question Degrassi. to ask you when we come back. I saw a comic book that I want to ask you about when well, we come all back. All right. Okay. A moment. A moment because we're still yeah. on the schedule. A moment, and then we want to talk about Neil deGrasse Tyson getting two pieced, three pieced, me tooed, all that jazz. Uh, we got to talk about him, and maybe we'll, we'll even segue from him to another doctor, Doctor Mark Lamont Hill. Uh, brothers are getting their comeuppance. They got to really watch themselves. I'll leave it at that. All right. This is Good Lava, Esperanza Spalding. Two minutes. We'll be right back. See this pretty girl. Watch this pretty girl flow.
educator in music hot lava hot lava you know looking at her afro self i just want to mention this as an anecdote and then we're going to get into sergio's question and then we're going to get into other stuff um you know i'm looking at this i'm looking at this titan series and i'm actually digging titans thanks to the dc universe streaming online service and yes i'm a sucker (laughs) <laughs> because I, I am paying for it. I'm paying for a few streaming services, but I can't pay for everything. But for, for the duration, I, I'm kind of, I joined it, right? And I'm looking at Titan specifically and the African actress. She's got this annoying red wig. If she had her natural hair and had it in some kind of, you know, red reddish hue, it might be more engaging. That red wig and the hookerish clothing. I know that the Coriander Starfire character is supposedly somewhat of a sexualized character, but they need to. They hopefully they'll turn things around, you know, as the as the show kind of goes in and matures. But just just her look needs to be toned down a little bit, and then it'll be off to the races. That's just a little thing I want to say. But yeah, that that stupid red wig she's wearing that that's, it's got to go. I don't like the red wigs in real life. <laughs> Although some of our women have a penchant for wearing them Please Anyway We're back This is the Grindhouse The call number is 646-915-9620 646-915-9620 Let's go to Sergio And uh, your query, sir What is it about this comic book you want yeah, to bring well, up? Well, the, the background yes, uh, Yesterday uh, My friend Eve, uh, Eve Ewing Who you know is writing Ironheart Among other things she's doing, aside also from, as a, she's a professor at University of Chicago, and she had a book signing, you know, people buy, you know, and I went down to see her, because I, I hadn't seen her since this summer, and first of all, there was a line you couldn't believe, you know, and um, so I'm standing in line, so I'm, it, it snakes through the comic book section, you know, through the store, and I see Catwoman with Tweety and Sylvester. And I said, that can't be right. Catwoman with Tweety and Sylvester. And then I see over here, Batman with Archie. And I was like, Batman with Archie? 
And then I saw Superman with Top Cat, then Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And I'm like, you explain to me, what's the deal with these DC characters now with cartoon, other cartoon characters like Tweety and Sylvester with Top Cat? What market are they going for? What's that all about? Well, look, I, I know you, you're not you're not unfamiliar with money, <laughs> so they, anytime they put these anytime they put these these things together, they, they will they will still do things, Sergio, to remind you that it is still the comic book genre. And the WB did purchase those Hanna Barbera IPs. So they did. Uh, I didn't know that. All right. Now, th- now there's a line of books that I actually absolutely loved. I've mentioned them on air before. Um, the, the, when they do Johnny Quest, I think it's called uh, – uh, what is the name of that, that line? I forgot the name of the actual line. But some of the characters that lend themselves to being superhero or capes, like the Johnny Quest, the adventure thing, uh, Space Ghost, uh, uh, Frankenstein Jr., some of those characters fit very comfortably. Um, uh, Mitor, I think it was another one. Those characters fit very comfortably, Birdman, comfortably into the comic book genre. But that's not going to stop them from, as a goof, to put uh, Catwoman, who's obviously a cat, with Tweety Bird. They're going to do that. I wouldn't pick up. That's not my thing. Now, I'm pretty sure Daryl picks up everything. I'm pretty sure Daryl probably will give you a glowing, and maybe not, but he might give you a glowing <laughs> review for this stuff. I, I can't pick up everything. I, can't, I have some sensibilities with some of this stuff. It's just not my thing when they mix and mash. But they will, they will do crossovers with anything. To make a buck, there was a, DCM there was a Batman Elmer Fudd cartoon book that was pretty damn good. I was really? surprised. Batman, what, say Batman and Elmer Fudd. <laughs> yeah, Elmer, Elmer, Elmer Fudd was a contract killer. He was just a killer with a with a stutter. You well, know you what? I want to buy that. I want to well, buy I'm that. Say something. He's on to something because what they'll do, because like the Flint, they have a Flintstone. They brought back. They brought back the Flintstones. And it really wasn't my kind of book, but I did buy the first one. And the Flintstones, they, they, made, they drew them differently. They made them mature as if they were prehistoric people. They didn't make it. They wasn't played for, like, sight gags or anything. So uh, they, they, they may have some kind of redux on it, Sergio, to be honest with you. You might have to thumb through it where it's not – where it may be played for being more serious. It might. Now that you're mentioning it, I might have to pick it up to see what's going on. Just thumb through it before I actually purchase it. All right, so let's let's get, let's talk about Neil deGrasse Tyson, noted astrophysicist. Uh, I think going back more than six months ago, his name came up with I believe the first time I heard about this Me Too business was with a I think when he was a graduate student, and there was some kind of situation with the with the young lady, and it came and went. I think some people chalked it up as either this woman was a little bit, her story wasn't really matching. It, it didn't hold on to anything. But his name was brought in, then it went away. Now we have three women, and I think a few of them are actual colleagues, or they, are, uh, they have doctorates within their own right. So I read through some of this stuff. Some of it, I, I'm a big supporter of Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I, I like the fact that he's built up this brand He's very affable. He 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 brings he, he brings science to the masses. And I hate I hate 
for this kind of thing to be levied against him. But look, if he did something fishy, then it has to be brought to the light. I think one of the one of the accusations dates back almost a decade ago. So we've been down this line before. It is, he won't be the first. He won't be the last. I, I, I uh, it's more of these are the times. We're going to be hearing more and more of these uh, of alleged misconduct cases, and I, 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 my, my issue is. What is it really about? Is it a shakedown? Uh, uh, do they rise to the Do they rise to the the level of being a crime? So, I mean, what what is it really meant to do? Is it meant to Is it really meant to catapult this man's career? Because if he's not going to go to jail, what, what do you want from him at this point? Again, going going more some of these these, these accusations five, ten, fifteen years ago. Now we're bringing him to light for what reason? I have no idea. Captain, what are your thoughts? And then we'll go around the horn. All right. Let, let me read one of these accusations. Allegedly. Allegedly. Catlin N. Ballers, an associate professor of physics and astronomy at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania, told Patheos that Tyson grabbed her arm and reached into her dress while looking at her tattoo of the solar system. She said the incident happened during a party after a gathering of the American Astronomical Society in 2009. While the interaction may not have been an assault, Ola said it was a clear sign that Tyson was capable of creepy behavior. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Uh, let, me see. let me read another one. Okay. Let's read his response. He said his action was simply a search for the tattoo under the covered part of a shoulder of the sleeveless dress. I only just learned nine years later that she thought this behavior to be creepy, he wrote. That was never my intent, and I'm deeply sorry to have made her feel that way. Another woman, Ashley Watson, told the website that she quit her job as Tyson's assistant last summer after he attempted to persuade her into sex. Okay, this, this goes a little bit deeper. Watson told Patheos that she felt pressured to impress her boss and accepted an invitation from Tyson to his place. This is from CNN, by the way. This is where I'm reading from, article from CNN. There the scientist spoke about people needing human physical releases and gave her an awkward and incredibly Intimate handshake. Later when she was leaving, Tyson then allegedly put his hands on her shoulders and said he wanted to hug her. But if he did, he'd just want more, the website reported. Uh, okay. All right. That's the, I, I won't go into the third. I'll leave the two just right there to see what we're dealing with. I'll leave that up to the audience to tell me. Now, here's one aspect of this. And I'll say this to a lot of men. Especially that first interaction with the tattoo. If this is what we're dealing with, now I'm not saying you should touch anybody in any way, shape, or form. A lot of you are guilty at all levels, especially that first one with the tattoo. Walking up to a woman, let me see, 
you touch your arm or whatever, oh, the tattoo's back over back, things of that nature. I've seen that many a time. I've seen that many a time. Now, the woman didn't react. There's no, there's no reason, there's nothing to stop her that she couldn't react years later and say something. You see, it's a slippery slope here. You understand? Some of it is totally clear, and some of it, eh, I don't know. You know? But again, you should not be touching anybody. You shouldn't be touching a soul. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And there's, and there's something that I always say. They get around to everybody eventually. You know, that's just, that's, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Uh, let's go to Bison and we go to Sergio. Bison, any, any dog in this race? Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, any thoughts about this? Well, like a lot of people, I'm disappointed. I think this is a, this is the um, atmosphere we're dealing with. Um, he did a full review on Facebook, kind of lengthy, where he addressed everything. If you go to his Twitter page, I think it's a link. It, it says it's like almost a dissertation of, of the alleged incidents and what happened. And what what he said was basically he gets thousands of requests to take photographs. And most of the time, he's amenable. Um, I'll let you read for yourself. Maybe I'm not on the chat, so I can't link it. Um, I, if, if you step back, if you put on your conspiracy theory hat, it seems like a lot of high-profile African-American men are being sort of chopped down one by one. I'm sort of surprised it took this long to go after him. High-profile, smart sort of arrogant in such in, in a, such a way. Um, I, I just think everybody on this call has had that talk by a male member of their family once upon a time, and you know what I'm going with this. Um, you know, you can't get too comfortable. I think he got too comfortable. And this is the age of social media. I just find it kind of, you know, I raise my eyebrow why I bring it up now. At, at, at such and such time, I, but I do know the the he was allegedly he allegedly raped a woman in grad school. I think she was black, and I think that was sort of either swept on the rug or kind of it went away quickly. And I don't know all the particulars, so that's why I'm putting the ledge. You know, I'm putting that up front. But he has a maybe his fan base didn't want to believe it. But I do. I think the rules have changed, and like Cap said, you know, if the, if that's the new rules, a lot of us are guilty. But I, you know, a part of me wants him to be. Oh, come on, he, not not him. But, but fellas, this is America, and one day, you know, I hope to get you guys here to D.C. so I can take you to the African American Museum. There's a section on Emmett Till. And this is still America. This is still a country where, you know, a young boy with a backpack bunks into a, a white woman. She wants to call the police. So a black man getting frisky with, with tattoos, you know, that, that's, 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 that's par for the course. I, I I think now if you if, if you're in a public space, I mean if somebody wants to get rich, here's the thing to get rich. You should set up some type of course of social media and and um 
a sort of a, a protocol when you deal with the public when it comes to social media and sell that to high-profile African-American men. Because right now, they're being chopped down one by one. My hope is he's innocent, but my I think he's diminished because of this. I, I really think if he's diminished, especially with the, um, the young lady who was an assistant. I mean, I, I kind of read all the way through that. I don't know if he was drunk or he just kept pushing the line or he was just socially inept or a combination of all of those. But it's certain things. I, let me just, I'm just tag on one more thing so I, you know, I won't be rambling as much. I was a military officer. I retired as a colonel. thing where we have to, we have to give counseling statements to people you rape. And they had a problem with it. Okay. You would, I never, ever, ever counsel women soldiers by myself. I had women um, sergeant majors or I had, you know, other people in the room with me with the door open. That was just, that was just something I had to do. And I think a lot of these male in, in the public sphere need to kind of rethink their interaction with the public. With that, I'll stop. Let's go to Sergio, and I'm going to give you my, my uh, two-piece on this, <laughs> my thoughts. Sergio, I heard you breathing a little bit. I had to pipe down your mic. Oh, my no, I, I, went, I had to go into another room. Uh, I had to look up something. Not, not about this, something else I forgot to pick up. Um, this is a complex issue. I will say this. I don't think this is going to hurt him. I think he'll get through this. I think because of who he is and his reputation. I think in the end he'll come out. As Bison said, and I tweeted it to you, he did post his own version of the events on Facebook uh, where you read what he says about it. Um, I think also because, I hate to say this, because he's known as the super nerd, the geek, I think it would be hard for people to believe these women. You know, know If he was an actor... If he was somebody else, somebody who had a reputation or, you know, as a womanizer or something, then I would say, yeah, you know, but no, uh, he'll get through this. Now, here's the thing. Um, uh, I I meet people all the time. Uh, I have many female friends. Most of my friends are women, right? And there are women, and, and, and every woman, I know exactly how to approach them because we're friends. Like, there's some women who, when they meet me, they always kiss me on the lips. Uh, I kiss them on the lips because we're friends. They know that. I could put my hand around their waist. They know that, you know. And then I have friends of mine who I will kiss on the cheek, you know, or, you know, I c- c- cuddle up to. They know me, and I know them, and we have a history together, right? When it comes to women I meet for the first time, of course, I'm very respectful. I'm always respectful with women. Um, my my longest time friend women, they know me, and I know them, and they know that, you know, I'm not going to be untoward them, you know, but we generally love each other, and we're great friends, you know, my Dear beloved friend Terry, who's now passed away now six years this this month, uh, this month would be six years. I mean, she we always would kiss each other on the lips when we met and when we would leave. You know, it was I mean, it was never complete without it. But I mean, you know, but um, I guess 
more younger women today and her daughters, I'm very close with. We hug each other all the time when we see each other, you know, very tightly because I've known them since the day they were born, literally. So um, the thing about it is that um, it, it comes down to knowing what your priorities are. Um, I will say that I think does it get me in trouble? I think that younger, a lot of younger women today, um, I don't know how to erase, but they seem to have, um, oh gosh, how can I say that again in trouble? Um, let's just say that they seem to have issues with men that I think older women generations don't seem to have, you know? Um, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I don't know, you know, how they were raised or what experiences they've had, um, you know, but um, particularly the younger woman, unless it's someone I've known for a while, I don't approach them in any untoward way or put my hands around their waist or anything like that, uh, simply because, um, well, they're younger women. So... <laughs> Well, well, you know what? You know what? You remember this. Um, When we first met personally, (laughs) when we first met personally, Sergio, when he was in the village, right? Two Uh young ladies, two young ladies that were maybe maybe too young, right? They approached us. You remember this? And they were sauntering, one of them, the the, the better looking one, (laughs) was sauntering up to me and. You know, I was, you know, we were a little taken aback because it's like they, they were up to some dad again. Yes, I do the, remember. I do remember. Now, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, yes. I, and, and I was ready to like, okay, <laughs> you were scared already. You were scared. I was not. I was like, okay, where are we going to go with this? But now I'm because glad. Because the vibe was wrong. The vibe was wrong. Yeah, but still. <laughs> but see, uh, I, I'm, I'm going through my Rolodex now. And the captain has also been with me when we when I have a little drink, a few drinks. I'm very comfortable. I don't comfortable. know anything. I don't know anything. You do. You do. You do. When, when, we, had, when, we, when we had one of our, our infamous Super Bowl parties at our spot. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I brought a young lady with me, a millennial. And now she was drinking. Her face was on my knee. And, and, and then the inner safety were giving me that look because I had a sly look. Now I have to I have to rethink all this stuff now because I don't I've been, that. well you remember it because because Sally and her and her uh, I don't think they were married yet her then husband well, or Sally's boyfriend she got great memory <laughs> but these two will give me that look, smiling at me and now I I'm gonna have to revisit like and even in the gym when he's because we get real friendly everybody's like what you, Sergio said when you're on the same page. None of this was, was an issue. Now, this is my opinion. Look, we know women are, are being uh, accosted. They're being molested. No one's trying to co-sign on that, right? But I do think that there's also a place that because of, because of certain cues now and certain allowances, some women, not all women, but some enterprising women say, oh, wait a minute. I could go back and say, well, that, that wasn't right. I didn't think of it. I didn't think much of it, much of it back then. But now it's okay for me to say this was this was something. Now, if it really was something, you would have said something about it back then. 
But now that it's the time for you to to go in, it's the, it's the, look, it's a, it's akin to people who feel that it's we are allowed to be racist now, because when Obama was when President Obama was in office, the zeitgeist wasn't really calling for that. Now that uh, the present president has put out the clarion call. Now, some of those white folks that, that, that felt a certain way, now they're allowed to show their asses. You see what I mean? So now because the zeitgeist says any little nuance that a man does that you could claim as being uncomfortable, I'm going to call it in. I'm going to cash my chips. I'm going to cash my chips. Because, because look, I always reference um, uh, uh, O'Shea Duke Jackson. O'Shea Duke Jackson with his own YouTube presence. He's a little rougher around the edges than, than what we do here, but I do like what he does. I like he has the whole Negro manosphere. He has his own brand over there, and he, he, has, he has allowed a place for men, especially black men, men of color, to speak their minds more frankly. And what he is saying clearly, and I would kind of have to agree with this, is that some women, not all women, some women – there's a little bit of infantilizing going on because you – there was such a thing as sexual harassment 10, 15, 20 years ago. I distinctly remember being in the corporates years ago, and you would hear so-and-so was removed. Something happened to so-and-so because of a sexual harassment claim. So sexual harassment claims aren't new. Why is it all of a sudden we're feeling like sexual harassment claims or the ability to make a claim against someone – is just discovered. We're acting I'll like tell you new, why. We're acting. Well, hold on. We're acting like this is new territory in 2018, 2019. When in 1998, it was it, you could get it on and popping if someone disrespected you. Go ahead, Sergio. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because who's president of the United States? That's why. If Hillary Clinton had won, none of this would be brought up. And don't forget, Hillary Clinton is one of the biggest appeasers of sexual, of male sexual misconduct that you can imagine with that husband of hers. You, ha- you know, she hasn't really said much about the Me Too movement because she can't open her damn mouth because she knows she's been coddling a sexual harasser and abuser for decades. So it's because of Trump, and that's why now it's out in the open, especially after that tape come out with that tape came out with Trump uh, back during the election, and he still got elected president, and a lot of people were shocked. I thought everybody thought that tape was going to kill him. It didn't kill him in the election. But that's why it's because of who's missing, president. Social media for this. I mean, last time I checked, Harvey Weinstein is a free man, and Bill Cosby's in jail. I know that's two different things, and I know it's on extreme. Uh-huh. But I still think, you know, it seems like people are being put away for people saying something. Now, of course, that's not going to be filmed for every um, action or what have you. I'm just, I'm just concerned that, you know, well, it seems like every week, Here's somebody else being taken down. It almost seems strategic. I, I hope I, I hope Denzel and 
and um, you know Sam Jackson and some of you guys are, you know, lowering up because it, you know I just feel that it seems more strategic than anything else. Well, 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 let me let me say something real quick, and I, you just reminded me of something, um, Bison. I I appreciate you kind of you made me remember something. Uh, two things. One, and Sergio even tapped into this. This is such a complex issue where some folks who have an agenda don't want it to be. They want it to be, they want it to be black and white. You know, um, it's, so, and it's not. When I'm thinking of... Uh, well, when I'm thinking of the, the duplicity that's mixed in with this, the reason why uh, Secretary Clinton couldn't, can't really be a, a headliner in this Me Too thing, she really can't go there because of her duplicitous nature. Because of the because of uh, whether it's politics or the Hollywood Hollywood elite, the way you get over in both fields because there's a, there's even an inside joke about um, politics being Hollywood for ugly people. Okay, so they they work with it, it, there's a performative element to to politics as is Hollywood, right? So, but what what makes it work is. Both rely on quid pro quo. You know, you you rub my back, I rub your back. There's, there's there's a lot of that that's been working its way in with politics and in Hollywood for so long, and that now you're dealing with this this whole anal crew of millennials, where so, so much sense of hypersensitivity that everything now we're revisiting. And before it was par for the course. And we again, I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior, male or female, especially male behavior, because look, uh, the arrow is going to tilt more towards men, testosterone and just and just bad socializing, whatever. That's going down. But but, but we don't want to talk about that there are men and women that agree to play in these games, agree, that agree to play in these reindeer games because there's a duplicity duplicitous way of look. I'm going to let this slide because I'm going to get over. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get uh, all kinds of all kinds of, of gifts and movement if I agree to this behavior or if I look the other way. We can't. We cannot talk about the complicity of some of these people, and that's what's very aggravating. And let me mention the second thing, and then I'm going to, I'm going to pass the mic around. I happen to check out this YouTube imprint, another YouTube imprint that I. I I have problems with. It's a millennial thing. It is. But it's not so much that they're millennials, but that because maybe because of their relative youth, they miss stuff. There's like blank spots that irritate me. So this YouTube imprint is called The Grapevine. They have a U.K. grapevine, and they have a U.S. grapevine. And it's a set of folks of color, uh, mostly run by, I suspect, black women and black men of alternative lifestyles, I suspect, where, the, where they dig in as how they see things, fine. You can see things how you want to see them. But they, they, go to a certain, they go to a certain point, and then they stop. They don't really expand enough. They, don't, they leave blank spots. So one of, the, one of the last episodes I saw was of, uh, is masculinity under attack? Is masculinity under attack? Now, God forbid the afternoon would have been on there because I would have lit the spot up. Because I'm listening to them speak, and they're just it, 
a room full of black people, gentlemen, a room full of black people, and blackness and black male masculinity, black masculinity are mentioned a smattering, a smattering. I'm like, how do these black remember, people? Though. These are children of immigrants, though. I've been following that show for a little while, almost since the beginning, and a lot of them are like first generation. It doesn't mean anything in the scope of everything, but it can mean everything in the scope of everything because they see things through that lens regarding, um, you know, a lot of them are children of African or Caribbean descent. And so, like you said, they go to a certain spot, and then they kind of just back off. Um I follow you 100% with that. And it seems like if you're a heterosexual male of a certain, they either, they either marginalize you or take you off the show completely because since yeah. that show has started, a few people have been pulled. Yeah, so so what, what is your fear? What is the fear? See, that, that's the whole thing. That's that effery that I don't like. like all, you, back in the day, I hate to go say it that way, but – when you looked at, like, many of us grew up on Phil Donahue, Chicago's own Phil Donahue, right? Uh, Phil Donahue was a, is a rabid progressive, but I, I, I appreciated that show and grew up on that show. And I just, I just thought, actually, I'll say this. I respected the way he conducted that show more than Oprah. I respected it because Oprah went somewhere else. That show, you, the way that uh, Donahue conducted himself, he would dig in deep on a subject and had people on there that he did not agree with and people could take it you you may not agree with someone but you could at least take their point of view now they don't want you to speak it is a it is some kind of sick way of censoring someone and you are correct if you or i or any of any of the, uh, of my co-discussants on this show were to go on, on their show i would respect those people they're entitled to their opinions but they don't like what we say, and they can't, they can't handle it for some reason. If you can deconstruct what we say, you should be able to handle it. But if you can't deconstruct it, you're not going to like me. Because I'm, I'm very confident and very comfortable in my positioning. I will check you because I, got, I have enough knowledge. So let me just wrap this up quickly. When I'm listening to them talk about masculinity, again, like you said, I, I would agree there's a little bit of that immigrant thing going on, right? But there's a number of... African Americans that were able to speak, and they still went to it. I think it's an age thing or a millennial mindset thing, where they're talking about man and woman, man and woman. And I'm saying, wait a minute. If you factor in, it was a couple of dudes, a couple that got closer to how you and I might say say things, uh, Bison. But the fact that they would talk about masculinity in a vacuum, as if a white man and a black man have equal prowess. In this, in the Americas, you're absolutely crazy. Oh, 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 we saw, we saw in film, or I'm sorry, on video. How many times, as of late? See, it's, it's not like we can't say these things, Bison, as if they're not happening in front of our faces. If they can take uh, Philando Castile being shot on film, you can also take and admit we see white females checking black males on video it's always been that way and it might always be that way it, so that is a different texture to masculinity that those people at grape at the grapevine don't address and it's not being toxic or being angry 
It's in your face. It's on video. And, and, and for them to bypass that and the black women on the show and all these women and being pro-feminist and all that kind of thing, look, you take a second seat. You take second chair today and yesteryear with white feminists. None of that is in the discourse with these people. So that's why I can't respect them. But they'll shut you and me down, Bison, for some reason. And I think what I said is patently correct. Anyway. Well, it, we're old. I'm old, so they won't have us on there. I think we also have to <laughs> realize that there's a huge generation gap right now. I mean, there's always been generation gaps. That's nothing new. We thought our parents, but there was a respect for our parents in the older generation. Okay, you know, oh, well, they, they're older, but, you know, they 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 went through um, the hardship so we can get to a certain place. I don't see that much of respect now for um, some millennials for older generations. They just think our generation has left in nothing but a set of problems and no roadmap of how to solve it. So they think they have to kind of flounder around on their own. Um, all the stuff they're saying, they just renaming it, giving it a new shine. I mean, you know, you know, you know, words like self care and you know, they have this love affair with brunch <laughs> and all this stuff, you know, and they just rediscovered James Baldwin and all this type of stuff. But I mean it's we failed, my generation failed because we were so worried about integrating that we didn't give our children and our children's children um the the fortitude to fight through some of this stuff that we're going through. White folks didn't become racist on January, you know, 12, 2017. They've been racist. But what's happening, I think we're too busy, we were too busy, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, and we forgot the basic things of, of, of equipping our children how to deal with the world. And this is what, and, and now this is the monster, Frankenstein monster we've created. Well, you know something, Bison, and I think that Sergio would appreciate this. Our, our new friend Tariq Nasheed, who I say that jokingly, but again, I have to I have to remind the audience I was really not a Tariq Nasheed supporter, um, but he's now that times are moving in a certain direction, we're seeing a certain zeitgeist. Now, what he says when he used to say, and I, I said this on repeat, when he says uses the term suspected white supremacist, I thought it was just part of his shtick. Maybe it was, but now. The, the current temperature of the times actually fit with him saying, well, you have to say suspected white supremacist now, don't you? you, have, you well, he's right on time. And his, his comportment, although it's kind of on the, on the noggish tip for comedic purposes, <laughs> I have to confess, I understand that man's language. Now, people have, people have brought me to task. People have brought me specifically to task on Twitter that they don't like the they don't like the, the they say oh I love your show it's great but when you guys go into a certain language style when you go into this Jim Brown thing they don't like it it turns them off I'm like look all shows are not going to be everything for everybody so if you don't like this if you don't like this the, the comportment of the of the host I don't know what to tell you because we can't just change for you like that that's not what we do. Okay, but so I, I'm not Tariq Nasheed, but I understand what he says. I understand I understand his language. I don't support everything that he does, but I understand his language. And when he talks about, because he's of a certain age, when he talks about, again, uh, these racists, like Bison just said, they didn't just spring up overnight. 
So I'm already I'm already uh, ready to rock and roll. I'm not into this snowflake and triggering talk. Bison, you know, I know you know these these new age terms. Uh, oh, that triggered me. What are you talking about? This is not the 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 the, the devil has raised his horns, and being a snowflake and being concerned about your feelings and about this. I'm going to say it like I'm going to say it. Pardon me for my French. This cracker is about to stick a pitchfork up your ass. You better be ready to rock and roll. Now, I'm not into visceral language, but I'm, I mean, and this is not a game. Let me give out my, my, my uh, you know, <laughs> let me give out my disclaimer. We have white listeners. We have educated white folk. We have progressive white folk. This is not about you. Right, just like we talk about nogs versus evolved black people, we got to talk about crackers versus progressive, educated, uh, evolved white people. Two different people. But these people that are confronting confronting black people in Starbucks or whatever, just doing their doing their their daily chores, they have to be stopped. There's one guy I uh, I didn't I want to let me mention this. I think I tweeted this out. Somebody in Arizona, some politician or someone by I think his name is is Stinger. I don't I don't know his name, but he said something. I think he's an educator or or maybe he's a senator from Arizona. I think this guy was on a college campus and he was talking about race. And all of a sudden, again, he's comfortable now. He's comfortable. He's saying um, first he's talking about immigrants. And how it, how he has a problem with immigrants and about how they're able to acclimate, how they're able to assimilate. Then he goes into black people, and then he says, "Well, you know, the blacks, the blacks, they never were able to assimilate. They they don't they're not able to merge. They they don't look. Their look was never able to assimilate. So now we're getting into the physicality of black people. Well, you people just weren't able to physically meld with us white folks." This man is talking this way. It's about to be 2019. The Snowflake crew, you better be ready when people talk like that. Because that is Bull Connor talk. Anyway, I'm not surprised. But these, that Snowflake and the Grapevine stuff and you being triggered, that ain't going to do it, partner. That's not going to do it for you. You better yeah, be can ready. Can I say something? Go ahead, uh, unless you're going to move to another subject, no, and I'll, I'll go defer. Ahead. No, go ahead. And I know you have, like you said earlier, you have a very diverse um, listener base. So we want to have different opinions. We all come from different points of view, different parts of the country or world. So that's a given. But, but I'm going to say something that's going to be controversial. So before I say it, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's do it. Disclaimer. This is not the opinions of the Afro Nerd Radio Corporation. This is Bison for Life. <laughs> all right. This is what happened. In the last few years, everybody who's been speaking for black, straight black men, except straight black men. Um, and you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Mm. No, you're right. So now, you're right. So now, I mean, it almost made being a straight black man a crime. Mm. And when straight black men push back on that, we're made to be feel like we're the one with issues. You know, we've had everybody speak for me, you know, for us, you know, every gender, every sexual connotation, we're told to accept everything, sight unseen. You know, I, I think some sections of the black 
homosexual LGBTQ community that was hoodwinked by certain sectors of the white who don't give a damn about black anything. And they made black people to be the boogeyman of everything, which ain't new. And I think Twitter is just sort of a, a prism for that. You know, Twitter and, you know, social media ain't the real world. The real world is, right. is a very different place. I, I just think we're going to see, I mean, you can call it red pill movement. A lot of that stuff is some bullshit, but it is what it is. But <laughs> I just think there's these movements that's coming up of straight black males of a, who are pushing back on a lot of these ideologies. They're pushing back on liberalism. They're pushing back on a lot of the status quo. They're pushing back on um, film and movie caricatures of us. And people are just getting tired of it. I don't care who, I don't care what you do behind closed doors. I don't care what you do. But there's just certain things I'm not I'm not cool with. I see Netflix has now hey, they're gonna have like a cartoon drag race, you know, a cartoon oh, yeah, character like that. drag <laughs> I saw the trailer for that, yeah. <laughs> Look, I know it's an audience for that, and I know it's probably not a kid, but kids going to see that, yeah. you know. And where well, are we going to draw the line and say this is not right? Well, you know, and it's sort of like I always got the pushback. I always got the pushback when I would criticize seeing black men in drag, like Tyler Perry. I said I hate that. I don't like that. Do you understand that symbolically what you're doing is that you're symbolically castrating the black man? And I would get all kinds of pushback and people would criticize me, and I said, I don't care. I don't like it. I didn't like it back when Philip Wilson did it and I was a kid. It maybe I didn't like it then. I could see something was wrong. I don't like it today. This constant emasculation of the black man. Well, well we talked about think, that here. <laughs> well, look, um, we're going to transition to another topic, but it's going to be along the same lines, believe it or not. It's still going to continue somewhat, even with Dr. Lamar, Mark Lamont Hill. That's going to delve into something else that I think uh, you gentlemen are going to want to uh, sink, sink your teeth in, because there's some things going on with how he was treated that I, I think still we have to bear witness. It's, it's, we're going to kind of tilt the conversation a little bit, but there's still something there about control. And uh, let me just close out on this. The part that makes it troubling is that, again, we have so many different antagonistic relationships going on in tandem, gentlemen. That's what that issue also. Our, our sisters, our black women, uh, I, I think that – I mean, look, in general, we could say black, many black people have self-esteem issues. And we lay, we lay these self-esteem issues out bare for the public to see, to my chagrin. Uh, I am a proponent of respectability politics. Now, is it the way that it is normally defined? No. I say, hell, you, we should not have to raise our, raise our, uh, our voices and uh, stand straight and pull our pants up for white people. I think we could all agree with that. We should, I, 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 would, I would agree we should not have to do certain things, or even, as I say, or even Tariq Nasheed says, get on code. I started saying get on code, but get on code – before I started hearing Tariq Nasheed actually saying it. So, again, something is up when I didn't listen to the man say that. And then we automatically know that's the language to use. Isn't that interesting? I, I didn't hear from Tariq Nasheed. 
I just can't, I just knew that we should we supposed to get on code. I don't know where that comes from. Anyway, so uh, what's that problem is with these different antagonistic relationships? Our women, our black women are almost. We're at the point now where, where black women, I think, are almost going into a different culture. I'm beginning to think that black women have their own culture, and black men have their own culture. And now there's a twain where we, the twain that shall not meet. There's something going on now where we, we we're passing each other. We're not able to speak to each other. And it, and when, when unfortunately when Bison talks about straight black male, or or as I would even say the traditional black male aesthetic, not to say that the other lanes don't have self determination. We're not doing that type of talk show. I'm not here to be to do an anti-gay thing. I'm not even about that. It's not even about that. I, I, I'm from New York. We just left the village, for Christ's sake. So it's not even about that. I just don't like why is it an issue that my lane, where, where, where black men, historically, we've never been given absolute power. So we never really had the opportunity to be, to be a-holes like the white man. <laughs> okay. Because as I have figured, I figured out what what is it about toxic masculinity? What is toxic masculinity? Toxic masculinity is the right to be an a hole. That's what it essentially is. Black men, we're hyper masculine. Many of us are hyper masculine. It's we want to play with the big toys. We overcompensate. There's a distinction with black men and and white men. We don't have the power. But the, some some gay groups, some black feminist groups. They are trying to lay us in the same bailiwick as white males when we don't have the power. Black women are winning. So I don't get this. I don't get it. Can I, can I tell you something? You know, I, maybe I told this story before. A, a few months ago, uh, as you know, I did the commentary for the Blu-ray uh, Sweet Sweetback and uh, Vinegar Syndrome. And and um, uh, a friend of mine wanted to show it to his girlfriend because she had never seen the picture. So I loaned him a copy, and he, when he gave it back, I asked his girlfriend, I said, what did you think of it? And, you know, she didn't understand what the deal was. You know, she's just a guy running away. And I said, you don't understand the impact that movie had when it came out. So she was like, well, he just had sex with these women who just – and I said, don't you get it? At that time, you never had a black guy having sex in the movies. White guys were having sex in movies. Nobody had a problem with that. But when you see a black man having sex, you got a problem. Yeah. Is there a problem here? And she let didn't have an up. answer for that. Exactly. Let me bring in Q Storm. You got a problem seeing black men having sex. Let me bring. Let me. Well, yeah. That that, that that's a thing. And when I mention it, when I mention that, that you know what, that is a thing. Like black men and black women being intimate on screen is never a comfortable thing for some reason. Okay, uh, we just got to the black panel. It's not comfortable for black women now. Evidently, these younger black women have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. They, well, like I said, I I don't know if they. Really, I don't think I, I came across this when I was cheerleading the Black Panther, right? When I was cheerleading it in 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 my way. Black women refuse to, and some black women refuse to, to concede that black masculinity is its own thing. And I, and I just it was it was like a brick wall. It was like it was like a wall. Anyway, let's go to Q Storm, and then we're gonna we're gonna transition into 
the Mark Lamont Hill situation because I think there's something there. I'm going to break that down in an interesting way. So it's, it, it's, I can't hate on the ADL. I can't hate on them per se, per se. We should learn to check people the way they check people. We'll go into that in a minute. We'll go into it. Q-Storm, Red Shirts Podcast, Prince Podcast, po- Podcast Juice. Hey, uh, I think you guys have gone past where I wanted to get on get on board, but um, you said some things that really struck me, and I agree with you about uh, the safe space. Now, I'm a liberal. I make no bones about that. No, not ashamed of it whatsoever. I'm a progressive for the most part. Um, but some of these things that I'm seeing on college campuses and I'm hearing about, I saw one story, I don't know if this was fake news or not, but I saw one story where a woman said that, you know, uh, men practicing on CPR dummies is an invitation to rape. <laughs> and I said, this is why liberals get a bad name. I agree with you 100% about that bullshit. Uh, I'm sorry. Not supposed to cut. This is not after, no, after dark. I keep forgetting. <laughs> my Patreon is charging my car, so I feel like I can curse a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> but um, see, this is why I say black people need to be much more strategic about the battles that they want to engage in. When I hear a Megan, and maybe this is not related, but I'm just going to get it out there. If I, when I hear Megan Kelly say something like Santa Claus was a white man. I'm not going to, that's not a battle I'm going to have because the character of Santa Claus, the character is a white man. It's based on a man of color, but Santa Claus, the, the Coca-Cola manufactured icon, is a white man. When I, when I hear people talking about, we got into it about blackface. I compare that stuff with what the, the gentleman, I saw that article, D. Bert, the gentleman, the professor or someone, I think, who's talking about how, trying to intellectualize why black people can't assimilate because we look different and oh, act yeah. different or whatever you said. Oh, yeah. That's, That's great. the battle right there. We liberals and us black folks need to stop jumping at the bait. We're not salmon. We need to stop jumping at the bait. And I would also say that, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, uh, I think Sergio was the one who said something about black masculinity, how black men or black heterosexual men, are, oh, no, it was, uh, it was bison talking about black heterosexual men are fighting back. Okay. But again, choose your battles and, and, and be thoughtful because I think Deber, you said something about a report that male, uh, uh, black men are starting to swing, uh, starting to, uh, vote support Trump. Yeah. uh, Republican. Some of them. Okay, if you feel the need to do that, given who is in the White House now and is the head of the Republican Party, and let's make no mistake, this person has reimagined the Republican Party in his image. So you're really not doing the Republican Party, as much as I disagree with their policies, you're not doing the Republican Party a favor by saying that you you know you support Republicans or that you you support their conservative agenda because it's not really the same agenda as your Reagan's. And your Bushes, who I wasn't huge fans of, but these were men that I knew were dealing from a place of in, relative intellectualism. So, you know, we got to be careful about that, too. Let's not cut the nose off our face to, to spite our face because we have to rail against something. Look at what you're moving towards a little bit more closely, black people. 
Well, look, Houston, what you're saying, uh, I'm not really going to dismantle. I, I like what you said. I, I think uh, as, uh, as, a, as like an overarching argument, is I just think that black folks need to kind of reassess the whole political thing as it is. I mean, I understand. I'm never going – you're never going to hear me say, like, there's a whole thing. You know, we have so many competing interests, Q. There's a whole thing. Uh, Roland Martin, you know, he and uh, Tariq Nasheed and some of these other folks that, you know, the, to vote – Versus not to vote. I, look, I'm on the side of voting. My belief is there's something to people trying to seriously prevent you from doing that. Why, if, if voting wasn't all that, why is there so much voter suppression? Why is there so much chicanery to prevent you from voting? So ju- just for that bit alone, I think you have to concede on the, on the side of voting. However, like, like many Asian folk, not all, but many who appear to be apolitical, where they are able to concentrate on the academics, on the education, and on the business. They do the straight-line approach. You know, the straight-line approach to me, we see and Nigerian folk, those of West African ancestry, they got it figured out. But black folk are too much on the emotional side, and it's just not working for us right now. And I think that some of what's happening with black men conceding to some of this uh, Republican some of the Republican stuff. Look, I'm although I am registered Republican, I'm not a Trumpian. I'm not supporting any of that effort. I'm just not. I'm not on that on that bandwagon. I'm not. I just can't do it. But I do think that it might be a reaction to some of the liberal stuff that is also as equally deleterious to black movement as what we may say some of the chicanery on the right. I mean, there's a thing. I saw this, and you will have you will have to concede to this again. Not to land based folk of an alternative lifestyle. I'm not doing that. But there's a, there, you, everyone will have to admit, liberalism, when I tell you this story, it's so out of pocket. I was listening to, uh, I think it was, uh, either it was Ben Shapiro, or who's the other guy? There's another guy from Canada um, that's making the round. Mark uh, Stein. A, a, Mark Stein? No, 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 no. He is... Uh, um, I, I, oh man, he's really making the rounds, man. He's he's a professor, and he wrote a, he oh, wrote a Peterson, book. Gordon Peterson, Pe- Peterson, right? Peterson. Now right. he is deconstructing some stuff because he had, he went in on Michael Dyson, and I'm not you know he went in you know, you're a, you're a bad white man. He he, he kind of he had it like a baby. I'm like you know what. I don't know if Peterson was a hundred percent. I don't know if he's a racist. I don't. I don't. I don't think I get that from him. I think he's a deconstructionist. But the, now, he, hold Peterson. On. So, hold on. Let me finish my point. So the reason why I'm I'm even bringing him up is I saw him on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, right? And he, or, or maybe it was, I think it was actually Ben Shapiro. It was a part of me. It was Ben Shapiro. I don't like. I, I, I look. I get in where I fit in. I know people don't like to hear this. I don't agree with everything that everybody says, but I can still get something from that. So Shapiro says, look, the liberal side goes into absurd territory sometimes, and they, they don't want to own it up, own into it. There's some, I think it's in England maybe, there's some, some person who is in transition. No problem. You're, you have your right to your own self-determination, right? I'm not even, not critiquing that, Okay. This gentleman, who is now becoming a woman, he doesn't just stop there. Now he says, oh, I'm actually a six-year-old girl. 
So now I'm seeing a grown man in transition who now also says I have the right to be a six-year-old girl. Although I'm really 52, I want to be six years old too. And people are actually listening to this person. Once you go into that territory, I, I, look, I even have I, – I will call you a she respectfully because that's your life. No problem. Now I have to call you a little girl when I see a 50-something in front of me? That's liberalism. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I'm done playing. This, this weird cosplay game we're playing, this is where I'm out of it. I jump ship people. I've jumped I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I call that liberalism. I don't know if I call that liberalism. I, you should, I gotta see the I gotta see the stats of how many liberals uh, are willing to fall along with that. It is it is what liberalism has wrought, my friend. Just as we have to concede that some of what's happening on the Republican side has wrought has has gave, has given birth to a Trump. There's aspects to the other side. You know, look, it's other but, left left wing, right wing. It's still the same bird. There's gonna be absurdities on both sides of the fence. But, that, but, my friend, when I see a, a, a middle aged Man, woman, now also wanting to be a six-year-old child, and he says that's his right to do that. I'm finished. I'm out. I can't well, play the let, let me just say something to you. And, you know, I, I'm a hu- I make no bones, but I'm a huge fan of Bill Maher as well. He says this all the time. Uh, you, you cannot equate uh, – let's say, let's say that, that uh, this, this idiot is the product of liberalism. You cannot equate a man who – a 52-year-old man saying he wants to be a, considered a six-year-old girl – uh, to the other side, where they're where they're ripping away children from their parents that want uh, that seek asylum, or they're trying to suppress the the voting rights of black people, or uh, uh, they are possibly in, all in collusion with the president who is trying to build a tower over in Moscow. So, uh, you, if you want to make the comparison, fine, but it's really flimsy. I mean, it's clearly one side is monopolizing the amoral side of the spectrum. I'm not going to go into full mode with uh, tit for tat. There are some things on the liberal side that are very destructive to the black black empowerment and black family. When you have uh, a happy Father's Day mom, and you, there's a lot of things going on that 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 are about taking the power. Uh, from black men and also deconstructing and dismantling black fatherhood. I think that I think that is of paramount concern coming from the liberal end of the game. Let's not do back and forth. I'm not, I'm not going to do back and forth. But I'm just telling you, there's some issues there that are that are highly crucial to black self determination, black empowerment, black business. That kind of talk that we really need right now. A game where we see people who are clearly racist that are showing their horns. Uh, and also some of this liberal stuff when it comes down to race, they can they can they can care less. This racial thing is 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 overarching everything else. The real intentions are coming out. So that's my thing. I think we need. I, I've even said as much. I've even said as much to you that we should we should get away from this politics thing and work on rejiggering black business. If we want to have Black Wall Street and all Wakanda and all that stuff. It's going to take a lot more than just how we feel and being emotional and, have to, and having concerns about white people not liking us and thinking that your dark skin doesn't fit in with my, with my furniture. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm done with that. I can't, I can't handle that. You know, my crown molding doesn't quite, 
my crown molding doesn't quite fit in with your dark skin, black man. I'm sorry. Please, stop it. That's the end of the conversation. Go ahead, Bison, and we're going to go to uh, Mark Lamont Hill. Okay, I, I'll wait so I can cut that Kappa's throat. Go ahead and start now. Okay. Jump in later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay, so so those who haven't been living under who haven't been living on a rock might know about this story. It's a building up building story. Dr. Mark Lamont Hill from Temple University, I believe he's also or at one time, and I gave him credit for that, that he was a professor at Morehouse, which I thought was a very good look. We know that many of our esteemed scholars, we can laud over them all we want, but they get high priced salaries for working for predominantly white Ivy League institutions. My wouldn't it be nice for some of these gentlemen to go to a Hampton, a Howard, a Morehouse, a Spellman, and so forth. Uh, I will concede. Um, what's her name? Um, uh, she used to work. She used to work for Bennett College. Uh, Malvo, Julie, Julia, Julianne Malvo, Doctor Malvo, noted MIT economist. She went to a. She was the the president of a black female school. So. I would like to hear more of these scholars going toward the HBCU side of the fence. I can see that Dr. Mark Lamont Hill has done that. But he's also, I, some of his, his ideology is not my ideology, and that's fine. But some of what he has said, I thought, you know, he's not into respectability politics, that's for sure. He's one of those apologists, and I think we even discussed it one time, one of those, one of those apologists when it comes down to black men pulling up their pants and, and fighting for the communities and, be, and being warriors and protecting their women and all these kind of things. He, he, he has an excuse for that. Anyway, he was a paid, emphasis on was, was a paid correspondent or a paid commentator on CNN for many years. He did a, a speech for the UN where he was very... Um, gracious, very supportive of the Palestinian movement, right? So that is mistake number one. <laughs> not, that I, not that I have a problem with him giving credit for what's going on with the occupation of uh, Palestinians in Israel. Okay, no problem, right? But he made one particular statement one particular particular phrase that has uh, canonically been connected to uh, Hamas and being more about violence. Being, it, it was kind of a shout-out to the more radical fringes of the Palestinian uh, Muslim movement, right? He said something to the effect, from, from the rivers to the sea. When you use the, ter- the term from the rivers to the sea, Oftentimes, that phraseology has been connected to the more radical, violent fringes of, of, uh, the, of Hamas, and some have connected that to kind of being somewhat anti-Semitic. That is open to interpretation. Now, he has defended, defended, defended himself with using that phraseology that he says that, look, that term predates that usage of it being some kind of radical shout out. The JDL, one of the one of the the uh, protective Jewish ADL JDL, they came out and said, "Look, get rid of this guy. 
that they're not they're not allowing for any kind of wiggle room with that terminology. So now he has been kicked out, and many are saying, "Look, this was said off time. He wasn't uh, uh, he wasn't on CNN at the time, but look, he's still a paid correspondent, whatever." Uh, he was kicked out for a rather, you know, um, uh, erudite speech, and yet, look, they're going, this has been a growing thing. I think there were, there were pictures of him with uh, a, a Minister Louis Farrakhan maybe a year and a half ago. So they had been w- wanting to get rid of this guy for a minute. This was the last straw. That's the gist of the story. I'm going to go around the horn. Uh, let's go to Sergio, and then we're going to go to Captain. Serge, what are your thoughts about Dr. Mark Lamont Hill being kicked off of CNN? Well, okay, we can talk about this. I'm going to try to make this short. Um, and Tariq, I sent you the link to what Tariq said about this. Uh, he said basically the same thing. You were right. He was marked after that picture of him with Farrakhan. Together, and he had to go in here and apologize. But he was marked after that. They were waiting for any kind of excuse to get rid of him, and he gave it to him. Now I can see where you are coming from in terms of I I forgot what group it was, but putting down the what Jewish group put down the pressure on CNN to get rid of him, and they did. But we should take that as an example. When you see constantly, we're seeing white people on television saying the most outrageous stuff. I remember something I saw a guy said on Morning Joe a few months ago, and he had that black guy there, that Eddie Gold uh, from Princeton University. He's now one of MSNBC's um, uh, Negro Whisperers, you know, and uh, like Mark Lamont Hill, right? And this guy who was a senator from Mississippi, he just said, he, he said that basically black people don't work. They're looking for always an easy way out. And God just, just was silent. He didn't say anything. And I would say if I was on that show, I would have jumped on that guy's throat. I don't care if NBC wouldn't put me on the show anymore. You can't say something like that on television and just stand there and be silent about it. We have to be proactive about that. When we see something outrageous on television, when we see somebody who says something, we ought to stand up and say, this will not stand, instead of just being acquiescent. That's all. Are you talking about the bald white guy? There was a, he was on the panel with a bald white guy? No, 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 no. It was some guy. He was a senator from Mississippi, or he was running for Mississippi. This was this was like back in October. Yeah, that. Well, the, you know. Uh, but it I has happened. The... But it's happened again, and God once again didn't say anything. Then what good is he? Let, let's go around the horn. Let's go to let's go to uh, uh, let's go to the captain, and then we're gonna go around to uh, uh, my other co-discussants. Our other co-discussants. The captain, your your impressions, Lamont Hill. It's real easy. It's real easy. As I said from the first time I got on this show, going back years ago, when you have these jobs with these networks, you are a media whore. You have to stick to a script. It doesn't matter who you are, you know. We see white people get canned for saying certain things. Maybe they get a little more running time. There's a script. It's not about so much bringing the news. They're more or less 
slash acting, doing their job. It's a script. There's certain things that they know they can't say. There's certain things that come across their desk and someone at the higher up says, no, we can't say that. It's a script. You go off your script, you get in trouble. That's it. You're a media whore. All that other stuff is irrelevant. You're a media whore. This is a script. And if you could stick to the script very well, the longer you stay there. When you see these people that got fired, they went off the script, white or black. That's it. That's the game that you're playing. It's business. And, you know, you cannot go against the power structure even if you're right. All those people that have, well, it's the truth, it's the real. Goodbye. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, man. You ask people in the military, oh, Bison can't talk about it. the real truth about Israel, you know? <laughs> we, we, we won't even go into that. You understand? Plenty of information out there. You can't do that. Here's a script. This is what you do. That's it. Keep the money. Keep coming in. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. I don't care whether they're white, black, Spanish, Asian, whatever. This is the script. We stated this. We're good. Back to you, Affleck. Yeah, let, let me say something, and I'm going to go to, to our, uh, our other supporters, of course. I'm going to try, try to make it brief. Um, what I said earlier, and, and Sergio was tapping into this, I could go to the jugular and say, well, this is unfair, and how dare they, and this is wrong. I'm not going to do that. I'm looking at the big picture. The big picture is there were some, many in the Jewish community or Jewish communities that felt that what he said was patently inappropriate in their opinion. And they're not allowing for, they're not allowing for any kind of gray area. They're not allowing for any kind of interpretation. They're not allowing for any kind of wiggle room. They're just not doing it. I can think of uh, Nicki Minaj's video called Only. That video, again, you can say nigga, nigga, nigga all day long. But she used um, thinly veiled Nazi imagery. You didn't see a swastika, but it definitely gave the look of a Lenny Reifenstahl film. Lenny Reifenstahl was Nazi's official filmmaker, right? So uh, it did. It was black and white. It looked totalitarian. It looked or reminded you of a Nazi war film or Nazi war documentary but you didn't see a swastika. So it was open to interpretation. Guess what? They didn't allow that room. They gave her a quick smack across the cheek and said, you're not going to do this. And she was, oh, my, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, you know she was, had a different comportment than the uh, Malcolm X faux pas, not to revisit that. Different comportment. When Michael Jackson used the K-word in a song in context, as big as a star and as quote-unquote white, <laughs> as black as Michael Jackson was, they were not going to allow that word to come out of his mouth under any circumstances, even in context. They smacked him down. So in, in, in many ways, I actually have to respect that. Now, what that issue is, conversely, when it's our time and our turn for equal respect, we do not get it. And that is disturbing. A gentleman who is an icon in the hip-hop industry, I cannot take that away from him, Lior Cohen, 
Def Jam's Lyar Cohen. Now I believe he's an executive at YouTube. When Charlemagne the God on The Breakfast Club asked, asked him a direct question about what's up with you having these artists on your label, on your IP, your imprint, where they're all drugged out. They talk about drugs. It's about, drug, about being drug adults, making it cool to be cool to imbibe on drugs, on purple drink, and all that stuff. What's up with that? Why, why don't you lessen, why don't you get up off of that? He awkwardly didn't have a response to it, really. He had to go into honesty mode. He was awkward. Lior said, well, you know, uh, I, I, got, I, got, I got children at home. I got a family to feed. Like, what? So the, most of these men of color that are talking about killing themselves on wax, let alone, look, being drug addled is just one of a number of dysfunctional things that are going on on wax that, are, uh, that the Jewish, many Jewish corporates approve of. And they have family to feed too. But, but to your detriment, I got a problem with that. So we have, uh, whether, it, whether it was the, the late Jerry Heller that allowed NWA to do what they're doing, which was detrimental to black imagery, black progress, I would say. You, you, you have someone like uh, Dr. Dre who can give 30 or $35 million to UCLA versus Howard, Hampton, Spelman, Lincoln, whatever. We see that there is a, a, a funding by some Jewish-owned companies that are highly detrimental to black folk. We don't hear a peep. But don't you dare do something that is, uh, that is questionable or that is up for debate. They don't allow for the debate. You're not going to disrespect me. I, sirs and ma'am. I, under, I agree with you. I agree. I respect that. I'm not going to allow you to get, have any room in the disrespect. But when it's our turn, I want the same thing. That's where I think black people need to get up off their asses and understand something is wrong. Something is wrong. That's the only way I can, I can actually fit in on this Dr. Mark, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill situation. That's where I have a problem. I don't, I don't even think anyone can deconstruct what I just said. Something is wrong there. We don't get the same respect. We don't have it. Where's the, where's the Urban League? Where's the, uh, where's the NAACP? Where are these people? They need to be getting into the asses of some of these people the way that the ADL and JDL get down. I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe they're getting too, many, maybe they're getting too much money, like our boy from, from, who, who formerly owned the uh, – uh, what is the team in California um, that, that he sold for a billion dollars with the, with the, uh, the, the uh, woman of black and, Lex, and, and Mexican descent? The Clippers. The Clippers. Clippers. Oh, uh, Sterling. Sterling. Yeah, yeah Sterling, yeah. Sterling, who also is of Jewish descent, he, he, he told you on audio how he really felt about black people. He has, a new, he has another new younger girlfriend, by the way. As he's able to traipse around, I thought he was a senile. He see, he see, young women seem to make him uh, very clear-headed, and a billion dollars <laughs> in his coffer. See how people, see how people play us. 
You see how people play us? And I agree. I don't think anti-Semitism should be tolerated under any circumstances. I'm not that guy. But when it's our turn for respect, everyone puts their heads in the sand. Why? Black folks included. Why? Let's go around the horn. Bison and then Q-Storm. Well, you guys have covered a lot. I will defer to you and uh, Cap. You guys in New York City, so you saw firsthand how um, black-owned labels like um, Sleeping Bag and Sugar Hill in the early days of hip-hop either got bought out or people got thrown off roofs or whatever. And, you know, we eventually lost control of the culture. Same thing with sneaker culture. But that's another discussion. Like anybody else, I think Lamont Hill got comfortable. And if you notice, if you follow the trajectory of his career, he was he didn't stay any place long. They ran him out of um, Huffington Post. Um, and he was, I think they ran him off. You know, he was on Fox with um, um, Sean Hannity. He was going to be that that black voice who can talk sense to um, the Fox News crew. That didn't last long. When when um, one of them, you know, caught him the cocaine dealer, literally, to his face. Um, what, it wasn't what he said or where he said it. You know, at the end of the day, when you go when you go there in certain venues, your career is done. I mean, he's there with um, um, Q in Philly. He has a, a coffee shop or something. You know, that might be his last, um, you know, that might be the only place he can show his face after a while. You know, we may see him in Martin Florida, you know, in six months. Well, you know, it reminds me but, of but, well, I do that... want to say, I do want to say one thing real quick, and this is what I've noticed. And a lot of us, I know where all you guys kind of spend your time on social media, but this Twitter world, people have taken the Twitter world and made it, think that's the real world so when you clap back on twitter you know oh, i'm feeling good but like deeper has been saying these people they are they are arming up and what i'm so perplexed about a man went in a synagogue and killed what 12 people but somehow farrakhan is a boogeyman i that i don't I'm not connecting the dots with that. What about the anti-Semitism or what this guy did in the ideology he professes? I never heard nobody from the Nation of Islam killing people like that. But I think that stems from the Me Too movement where the two of the, the white woman wants to push out Tamika Mallory and oh, yep. name, Lisa Saussure yep. and others, Man. they kind of link them to Farrakhan. Yeah. I think that, I think that's I think that's the fallout from that. I think they just anybody took a picture with Farrakhan. It, it seems like everybody just pulling out out of nowhere to to push an agenda and to push black people out of either the public limelight or the leadership positions of certain organizations. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna circle back to me too. I'm gonna stick with. Mont Lamont Hill is he got comfortable? We you know the you know since Obama got out of office, have you noticed all these news organizations have been purging black pundits, and CNN is at the top of the list. Like every Soledad O'Brien, Roland Martin, uh, Donna Brazil, it's just like 
boom, 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 every couple of months because they don't need you anymore. Exactly. And we have a certain, you know, myself and Sergio, we have a certain age. We've seen this movie before. Well, you know, they don't Negro. They don't need them anymore. When Obama was president, they needed these, what I call them, Negro whisperers. Now that they they don't need these people anymore. Um, you know, I look at, what what's that chick's name? Uh, Joanne Reed. Remember a couple months ago oh, when yeah. it came out that 10 years ago she had written all these anti-gay um, uh, uh, statements in a blog? And I had to watch her show to see how she addressed this. I saw that show. She was fighting for her life. I have never seen anybody look so scared on TV. She went and got a bunch of gay people, including uh, Jonathan Capehart, to support her and to forgive her, and she clung on to that job when normally she would have been fired. But well, look, um, look, just to tell you, if you think about if you think about her, you know, she she tried to tongue lash Killer Mike, the uh, hip hop artist, the Georgia uh, Atlanta hip hop artist, for something he said yeah. about guns or whatever it was. Uh, what, she, he made a mistake, and she gave him a tongue lashing. And then, like within two weeks, the mirror was faced right back on her behind. So, yeah. the, what's that issue? I want to I want to bring in Q Storm because we got a few minutes remaining. But the issue is, black folks are going to have to do. I, I I've been saying this for so long, people. I've been saying it for so long for so long. If you haven't realized it, you're going to have to do the heavy lifting and develop your own infrastructure, whether it's media, whether it's whatever, whatever business you're, you're in, your business endeavor you choose to go into, because you're always going to come up against this, but they're going to cut you, they're going to cut you loose for some reason. You're only, good, you're only good for what they need you for, and then when you overstay, you're welcome, you're done. So when I think of someone like Jank Uger who has uh, the Young Turks, I don't know, has maybe four or five million subscribers. He yeah. was able to get some kind of funding. But that's showing you the way. Now, I see Roland Martin is on, on the Internet now. The only way you're going to be able to get at these people is to do it on the Internet. I mean, look, we even talk about on this show, we even talk about doing something more mainstream. But at, at this point, it's not even about that anymore because if truth be told, and a captain can verify this, I'm pretty Sergio too. The some of the numbers are coming back more on on the internet than they are in the mainstream. You'd be surprised how yeah. low the ratings are on CNN. Might have half a million viewers, where you have Jake uh, Uger might get more than that in one in, in one clip. Yeah. So you, you can't you can't go by you can't go by because something being on cable or mainstream as being the end all be all. I think at some time at some time ago that used to be. The, the, that used to be the, the, the goal. But now, these people are giving up major ducats on the Internet if you know how to play it right. So I'm not even really caught up in trying to do mainstream anymore. Now it's like, let's just get, let's just get eyeballs. Let's go back to Q-Storm and get his impressions. We've got about six minutes remaining. Q-Storm. Um, yeah, I know we're running out of time, but I guess I wanted to just – Offer a little pushback on CNN. They do. I, I watch it every day. They uh, it's on the background when I'm working at home. They do have a number of uh, black people uh, anchoring and uh, uh, commentators. They have Abby Phillips. They have Laura Jowett, Valerie Jarrett's daughter. 
Federico, Federico Whitfield, Don Lemon, Victor Blackwell, who I would have loved to have seen at CBS this morning replacing Charlie Rose. They do have quite a few, yeah. Tariq Zakaria. But um, th- I would say that all of these people, the anchors, they're either on late night or weekends. So I do have an issue with that. Um, I don't know enough about the Mark, La- the Mark Lamont Hill quote. Um, you did in, uh, enlighten me a little bit. Apparently, it was a quote that was that that uh, brought to mind anti-Semitism. I'm not aware of that. Yeah. But um, you know, I guess if that happened, hey, I can't be mad at people who are willing to stand up for what they believe is right. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I would like to think an apology would have would have gotten it done, and CNN wouldn't have fired them. But uh, hey. It is what it is. Hey, don't forget, hey, don't forget Fox. Well, tell me, tell, hold, is the on, only hold, hold on, sir. Hold on, sir. Hold on. So one, thing, one thing I want to mention. Um, let me let me because let me just pipe you down a little bit. So um, look, there's a couple of things going on here. We got about four minutes remaining, and I just want to get this get this in. Author, filmmaker, actress Padma Lakshmi, a lovely woman. Um, she used to be she used to be a paramour to uh, Solomon Rushdie, you know the the uh, noted author, um, uh, Satanic Verses and so forth. I, I I believe she said one time. I believe she said one time that uh, CNN and some of the mainstream news outlets they are very uncomfortable in presenting a Palestinian point of view. But that's what that that's something that I never forgot. That she said, I mean, it may be her or maybe another uh, woman of color from the Middle East that made a comment that you just aren't allowed, you, you, you must concede to, to Israel's point of view. And that if you have a different point of view, that we clearly see that the, the Palestinian people have been cordoned off, that they've been, uh, that is, is a separate and unequal society. There's some things that are at issue with how they are being treated. Now, look, there's a Jewish perspective, there's an Israeli perspective, but there is certainly a Palestinian perspective, and we are not allowed to hear it. And if you concede or you give some kind of deference to them, you're persona non grata. And that's what happened to Mark Lamont Hill, that he spoke before the U.N. on behalf of the Palestinian people, and that was mistake number one. And then when he went into this phrase, that, that one phrase has been construed as a shout-out, and there was no wiggle room with that so what i have to what i have to say is you know what if that's the case that's the case but what's up with black people is we do not own our own outlets where you can talk that hot to get more black folk to get away from cashing these checks and being so so enamored like the uh melissa melissa uh, melissa harris perry's that were, oh, he took my show and they're crying and having histrionics, that baby infant, infant, infantilism that I talked about that we're not allowed to say. She had an infant mode as a grown woman. It's my show. They took my show away. It was never your show. Okay? I'm like Vin Diesel in that race. You never had me. <laughs> you know, I almost got you. You never got me. So it, 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 we're going to have to learn to bite the bullet. Uh, we see the gentleman that has the advice, Phil from the Advice Show. He's got almost a million subscribers or something. These are, this is, we're told the conventional wisdom is that black people don't do news. Somehow this brother is making a comfortable living doing news his way. Even if you don't agree with him, he's allowed to do it his way. Um, 
Jank Uger to do it his way. He did the mainstream thing for a minute. He said, F that. They're not, not going to allow me to speak the way I want to speak. Black people have to get up off of trying to collect checks and take the, take the hit for a few years or a few months and dig in, dig your heels, and maybe it might not be as glamorous, but you're going to have to start your own infrastructure from top to bottom in order to have a sense of freedom. So if you take a picture with Farrakhan, you don't have to have somebody t- checkmating you. That's it. We've got a minute remaining. Is, is, is that, is, do, is, am I wrong for that? I mean, I think we can agree. That I think that's the way to go. Let me bring in um, Sergio, and then we've got we to gotta get out of here. No, uh, Deeber, the woman you're referring to is Ruba Jabal. Okay. Yeah, uh, I know her, too. She's, a, she's another um, – she's an African, though, right? Somalian? No, no, she's, she's Palestinian. She's okay. Palestinian. She was the girlfriend of Julian Snobble, the oh, artist. Okay. okay. Yeah, I know she made a hey, comment, Deeber. and they, they checked her. Yeah, you don't see her on TV anymore. No, she's mostly on Sirius XM. Bieber, how yeah, but now on TV. Time? She used to be on TV from time to time. Now, I haven't seen her in a few years. They checked her. Oh, yeah, you're right. Rula. Oh, yeah, she's fine. Rula, oh, Rula Jabal. Right. Yeah, I know. I she know. She is smoking. Oh, I, that's she's no fine. lie. She's smoking. Yeah, Rula. First time I thought, I thought she was a sister, man. Yeah. She is a sister. She's a sister to me. You know, my, you yeah. know, you know. All right, let's take Bison. We're out of time. We're going to take Bison, yeah. though. You show her yeah. the D-Bird's looking at pictures now. He loses his track. Yeah. The Q-Stone's <laughs> I think she's got a grade C curl, maybe. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, Ruler. Oh, no, that's fine. I just want to know how the Patreon is coming along. Like, hey, hey D-Bird, I just want to know how the Patreon is coming along. So, you know, you may want to make well, a pitch for that. I'm going to up mine a little bit. Brother, listen. I, I, and it, check look, your email. I'm trying to get you on. Check your email, man. We, we uh, look. We discussed it. We discussed it with. Um, we discussed your email amongst ourselves. The, the captain also is a, is a partner in this, and we're working with another gentleman, um, Q. So we're just waiting to hear. It's not like, just because you don't hear from us. There's things going on behind the scenes we don't talk about. So there's a, there is a a Georgia gentleman. I'm not going to go into so many details details until it goes through, that we may be broadcasting through his thing through iHeartRadio. So there's some things going on that I, don't, I just choose not to discuss. So I, I appreciate you looking out. Trust me. Um, I'm aware of it, but there's a number of things going on. So, that, that's, so let, me, let me just clue you in on that. Uh, the Patreon, look, we could use the help because some people are, you know, they, for some, if I say something cross, well, I'm taking away $2 from you. <laughs> so I don't get that. <laughs> Some people are actually taking money away. They're still contributing, but they're not contributing as much. Whatever. Um, so, yes, uh, let me just repeat that out loud. Patreon.com forward slash Radio. Look, if we were able to actually get sustainability per month, just a little bit of help, we could get our behinds in an actual physical environment and do it the way we really want to do it, but not that much money. But it does – there is a monthly stipend. But if, we could, if we're able to work with this gentleman – Get our behinds on Afro Nerd, where we have sponsorship on our website. We should be able to to sustain ourselves, but it's a process. But uh, the captain said a slick remark to me. Uh, I say this playfully. He said 2019 is going to be our year, and I think that I think that's what's going to happen. He said that to me, and I was like, I'm always like, I don't, I don't believe it. I'm always I got a little bit of that self defeatism in me, but I think 
we're actually making movement, and it just so happens we're getting closer to 2019. But yes, to the listening audience, we could use your help because we do, we do want to do it. We have so many grandi- grandiose ideas to be in a corporate uh, setting where we could actually do a live show on YouTube that we're looking at that. But, it, you know, some folks are doing the clown thing. We, if we're doing the minstrel thing, we'd have no problems getting a Patreon going. I can see that clearly. People that are, that are shucking it up, they got, you know, thousands of dollars coming in for their Patreon. We don't, we don't choose to do that. So, that, you know, when you're more serious, talking about Hamas along with Daredevil being canceled, people don't want to give up that, those ducats. But, yes, uh, you know, look, um, Bison, I appreciate it, man. I, I'm going to tell you, it, it would help out a lot. It would. To so a listening audience, patreon.com forward slash after the radio. It, it, that's what it is. Uh, let's close shop. We went over the time. We'll be back on, on Wednesday. We got some YouTube clips to, 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 uh, to go into. Go to our Instagram page, man. You'll see some of our some of my uh, my own collection. I think you'll dig that. Check Instagram to see some of my my prize books. Uh, we'll be back at it again. This is Funkadelic Red Hot Mama, Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's been real. Thank you. Yeah.